Does anybody here know a celebrity? Who? Uh, hey, hey, uh, I had an uncle that went to school with one of the Marx brothers. One of the Marx brothers? Say, hey, that's wonderful. Which one? Zeppo. Will you sit down, and if the Marx Brothers ever need another brother, you can qualify as not so. Sit down! Hello and welcome to another sweet and lockdown edition of the Marx Brothers Council Podcast. This is episode 24, Take a Letter. I'm Matthew Conium. I hope you are too. Joining me as always are the two men who ensure that the Marx Brothers Council Podcast is not just one guy in England talking to himself. The first is our editor, mixer, producer, and all-round background whiz, a man I'm proud to call a friend and ashamed to call a co-host, Bob Gasser. Hey, Matthew. Hey, everyone. And uh, you are correct. Uh, this podcast is also a couple of guys in America also talking to themselves. <laughs> That's absolutely right. <laughs> and with him is the man who revived a Lost Marx Brothers musical, restaged it, wrote about it, and even permed his hair in the interests of lead role <laughs> authenticity. Proving that you can take things too far. Noah Diamond. Yes, sir. Do you want the body in brackets? <laughs> I could use that perm now. In quarantine, my hair is getting prodigious. <laughs> <laughs> so, take a letter. Dear dentist, he was the last Marx brother to join the act, the last to permanently leave it, and the last to leave us all together. He was the only screen Marx brother who looked exactly the same off screen as he did on, and the only one who wasn't recognized everywhere he went. He was Frank Sinatra's fourth wife's second husband. And above all, he was Zeppo Marx, born Herbert Marx in 1901. He was named Marx after his father and Herbert because of an airship. <laughs> Zeppo fitted naturally into the act. According to the Freudians, Groucho was the superego, Chico was the ego, Harpo was the id, and Zeppo was Jamison, Groucho's secretary. He was the fifth performing Marx brother, though on screen he took the role of the fourth Marx brother, thus giving the lie to those who claimed he wasn't a talented actor. He left the act in 1933 to become an agent, and it was said that of all the brothers who left the act in 1933 to become an agent, he was the funniest off-screen. Later in life, he achieved notable success as an engineer and inventor, whose patents included the Marmon Clamp, which attached atomic bombs to aeroplanes, the Mormon Clamp, which prevented illegal parking in Salt Lake City, and the Merman Clamp, which fitted over Ethel Merman's mouth and stopped her singing. He also invented a wristwatch, which gave you a heart attack every time you put it on. This proved a surprise bestseller in Las Vegas. OK, some of that, I'll admit, is not quite the whole truth. But then, getting to the whole truth about Zeppo Marx is never easy. He zealously guarded his privacy, and he rarely gave interviews. The sheer blankness of his screen persona has sent commentators into compensatory overdrive, hence the funniest off-screen rumour, which usually translates to funny off-screen, that being essentially novelty enough. So little does he seem to materially contribute to the films that it's popular to credit him with some nebulous spirit or essence, and whatever it may be and however elusively it may be located, the brothers were somehow never quite the same after it was withdrawn. Clearly dissatisfied in the movies, where he tends to do less even than is required of him, and can frequently be seen wandering off the set in the middle of scenes, he tried his hand at screenwriting and horse ranching, as well as agent and then engineer. And through all these gear changes, he never dropped the name Zeppo. The silly stage moniker he adopted in what every indication suggested was for him the least satisfying and memorable chapter of his working life. So what gives? We don't know. And therein lies much of the fascination. 
It wasn't even like Chico, the other essentially mysterious brother, that we never got around to asking him in time. We did ask, and he wasn't telling. And so, even today, Zeppo still fascinates. He nags at us, like an aching tooth we can't stop prodding. If he was just the spare wheel, the gauche nebbish who never found his feet on film, other than two left ones, why does he still engage us and fascinate us, and inspire such defensive affection? Perhaps it's because there are so many tempting little hints and suggestions that he was much more than the man he appears to be, but which always falls short of hard corroborating evidence. Perhaps it's because it's still hard to really believe that any true-blooded Marx brother who can seem that stiff on screen isn't kidding us somehow. Or perhaps it's because of the way his forehead turns into his nose without stopping to notify the rest of his face. (laughs) These and other matters we hope to raise and settle as securely as any bunch of 21st century investigators can hope to manage. And to that end, we've enlisted the Marx Brothers Council's foremost Zeppo analyst and advocate, making her second appearance and promising to stick around for the whole show this time. (laughs) It's Andrea Orlando. Hi, guys. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Noah. Hey, Bob. Hi, Hi, Andrea. How's it going? (laughs) Good. You know, there's still debate going on about your last appearance. Uh, a lot of people have not been firmly convinced about the number of voices we're hearing in the barrels. Well, you know, there's no, no, we'll never know. Basically, it's just what I hear and what some people hear. But I did listen to it again last night and I stand by what I said, that it's three voices and they change when the, the third voice changes. Well, Andrea, we always ask our guests um, a general question of what the Marx Brothers mean to them, how they first encountered them, and all that sort of thing. So pile in. Well, you know, my whole family were Marx Brothers fans, and my dad gave me an education because, you know, I was a kid growing up in the 80s, and At the Circus was always on or um, Big Store or whatever. So I saw those movies first, and he would sit me down, and he would tell me, about the brothers and how they got their names. And I remember he said to me, there's another brother, um, but you know, he didn't do much and then he left. But I never thought of it until I became an adult. And then there was like a TCM festival or something where I just fell in love with them again. And I remember they showed coconuts and they had that first, the credits screen where Zeppo was the first badge. And I said, Zeppo, what the heck? That, that must be this guy, you know? And just watching him, it was just such an enigma to see the, the the very few things that he did, being behind the desk there, talking to Groucho, just so subordinate. And then at the end, when he kind of jumps in in the, the coconuts dance, and you wonder, ooh, it doesn't seem like he's really part of anything. So then I had to do my research. And uh, that's when uh, I just started to just fall for him, because he's just, he's just so handsome. And he's just so awkward that I had to investigate. I had to learn more about him. That's why I started posting so much on the site, you know, to, to pick people's brain about these guys and what they think of Zeppo. And some of the responses <laughs> have been very strange. What did you think of all those red flags when you were investigating him? Red flags? He had some uh, personality traits that weren't exactly as endearing as his stage persona. And that's what makes him more interesting okay. that he has those. Because everybody always said that he's, he seemed like this guy in the background. And you find out that, that he was a very aggressive person with a big personality and that he was so funny off stage, everybody always said. Um, but that doesn't really translate in his character. However, mm-hmm. I did do a lot of research and I called a lot of people to talk a little bit more about Zeppo. And one thing that makes a lot of sense is that he was drafted into the act to replace Gummo. So it's not like he had a chance to really 
express who he truly was like his other brothers did. He was filling in the role that Gummo played with whatever Gummo's limitations were on stage. Hmm. So there was probably so much more that Zeppo could have done that we just have never seen because it didn't really fit into the formula. And additionally, there's a lot of data that says that he did so much more in the Broadway shows. I'm sure Noah could speak upon that, that he did much more in the Broadway shows than he was allowed to do in the actual films. It is true that he had a larger role um, on stage than he did on film, but I do think that has sort of been overstated over the years a little bit. Um, cause, because in an attempt to answer the question of what's Zeppo doing in this act... Um, that seems like a very logical answer. Oh, he did have an equal role in the act, but then when they moved to film, for whatever reason, he got sidelined. It's not quite that, you know, he, he was clearly less than the other three, um, on stage. You know, to some extent, Chico was too, you know, um, so many reviews from the vaudeville and Broadway years, uh, praised Chico's piano solo, Ooh. but almost nothing else. Yeah. Um, Wilcott famously in his review of I'll Say She Is, you know, he, he deifies Harpo and says some nice things about Groucho. And he says, uh, Chico is suppressed more or less until the property man remembers to leave a piano on stage. And as for Zeppo, he's probably the property man. So, I mean, the thing about Zeppo, though, when uh, admittedly the evidence we've got on film isn't doesn't add up to much, and he's not given many, if any, opportunities, but he doesn't come across as somebody who is bursting to show us more with the potential to show us more. He he seems to be somebody who is very, very uncomfortable. Well, you know, I always felt like that, but then there's this gem that we see in Monkey Business. That, that passport scene, honestly, that sure. passport scene where he has this moxie and he's like, yeah, I'm, yes. I'm more Chevalier. Yeah, I'll show you. Want me to sing for you? And that would, <laughs> if they had just taken that character and run with it, because next to his brothers, I don't think anybody could look like they have talent because those guys are just super, super talented. So the fact that he had that nice fitting suit and he was taller than them and he was good looking, and he was built nice and, you know, they gave him some extra hair and made him more of that matinee idol type look as best as they could if they had just run with what they were building in monkey business i think that um history would be a lot different maybe you know i don't know that's just my guess um and then we i look i always look forward to seeing what would happen next and it was horse feathers which i mean that's one of my favorite movies in the whole world but he's still just a son in that again didn't he start off as as groucho's son like in home again Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, Gummo and then, yeah, and then Zeppo right, inherited Right, Gummo did it for like seven years or something, and then, then Zeppo inherited that role. So he's back in Horse Feathers. Um, the thing that saves Horse Feathers for, for a Zeppo fan, though, is hearing him sing. And I know that there's been a lot of conjecture whether or not he was singing, but there are no sources that say it wasn't him. And most people say that he was trying to do the voice of the time, the 1932 crooner voice. And he was trying to change his style, raise his soft palate a little bit so that he had more of a Bing Crosby type style. And so I, I guess I do believe that. And it would be a tragedy if he wasn't singing, because that's one of my favorite things about Zeppo is singing in that movie. But anyway, I digress. It's monkey business where you fall in love with Zeppo, I think, because he's part of the team in that he's not the son or the secretary. It seems that at different points when, uh, they needed to cut stuff, whether it be from coconuts or duck soup, when they wanted to shorten things, the first stuff to go was Zeppo. 
Particularly yeah. duck soup, I think he suffers in, doesn't he? Yeah. I think he was easy to treat that way, uh, partly because he wasn't a partner in the company of the Marx Brothers. You know, Zeppo was on salary. He was a cast member. Uh, and Groucho, Harpo, and Chico had a share in the profits of uh, th- those projects. I-, I also think we tend to forget how much younger Zeppo was. Um, I mean, Groucho, Harpo, and Chico through the 20s and 30s, they all appear ageless and the same age. Um Zeppo really was. He was almost 15 years younger than Chico. Um, and Chico almost could have been Zeppo's father. And, you know, and he's also the only Marx brother born in the mm. 20th century. And so I think even if he had been bursting with talent, I think there would have been a sibling dynamic among them that marginalized him. Chico may have been his father. Yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> now you opened up a door here. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Wasn't, wasn't Zeppo originally supposed to play... Groucho's son in Duck Soup wasn't he Bob, Bob Firefly? Isn't there like yeah. that's advertisement right. about that? And then he at that point maybe he just didn't care. Want to cut it? Go ahead, cut mm. my part. I didn't really care. If that's another yeah. opportunity that kills me too, because when I hear what what could have been in his role with Vera Markal's mm. character, oh yeah, that would have been nice. That would have been nice. There's all these contradictions about whether he wanted to be a performer or not. You know, th- at times it seemed like he was trying to advance himself perhaps in another way as, as a singer. And it, he always seemed to embrace the perks of being a performer. And he mm. certainly had every opportunity to drop the Zeppo name when he left the act, but he, he didn't seem like he, mm. he wanted to do that. He actually named his uh, agency the Zeppo Marks Agency. Where, well, they had yeah. a real strong familial bond, I think. Yeah. I think they were raised to just look out for each other and be close. I mean, that growing up in vaudeville, that, that had to be a hard life. Mm-hmm. You had to be in a lot of bad towns and bad accommodations and so they had to stick together mm. and then he comes into the act and they they just had probably a very strong bond in his interview in in richard and nobley's uh marks by the scrapbook he he's 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 kind of uh, sort of alternating between between saying oh i had no interest i it was it was it meant nothing to me i just wanted to get out uh, and then occasionally he does say i would have liked to have done more but but his position is that it was obvious to him and i and I'm not really sure why this should be, but it was obvious to him that there was no way he would ever be able to do anything in that act. So he didn't bother. Uh, and and, he, and he, he threw in the towel as soon as he could. But, you know, some people are okay with that. Yeah. yeah. But he implies that if he had been given something to do, he, he, he would have enjoyed it and he would have stuck around. Not everybody wants to be the center of attention. You know, not everybody wants to be out there. I certainly wouldn't want to do it. If my brother and sister were really good on stage and I had an opportunity to get in there, maybe I, you know, a lot of people think just everybody's dying for fame. Everyone's dying to get on stage. It's not really true. And as we've talked about fairly recently, it's almost ironic that he left the act at the exact moment where he almost certainly would have gotten more to do under Thalberg, whether it would have been comic or expository or whatever, Thalberg certainly would have made sure to give him something to do. Mm. I do think, though, that if Zeppo, I mean, I don't think he was completely talentless, and I think he's, he is, I think your word, Andrea, is correct, he's an enigma, and that does make him fascinating in a different way from the others. But I also think that if there was a comic genius in there, we would know about it. It's not that there was a restrained brilliance Mm. in him. Um, Partly because, you know, Zeppo, uh, Zeppo and Harpo are the two Marx brothers who were drafted into the act against their will. Neither of them really had much interest in it. And in fact, Harpo was terrified and actively 
didn't want to be in the act. Um, but Minnie drafted them and forced them onto the stage. And, you know, Harpo did have this comic genius inside him that was a surprise to everybody that slowly and laboriously emerged over the course of hours and hours on stage. Um, and, you know, that didn't happen with Zeppo. He yeah. says in, in some of his, like in the scrapbook interview, um, you know, there was no room for me. There was no room for a, another comic in the act. Um, but, you know, I don't think Harpo would have been d- deterred by that. Ah, oh, the act is funny enough mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Zeppo and Harpo, I, you could say they're the least and most inspired of the Marx Brothers um, as far as their presence in the act. Mm-hmm. But they were just different guys. In real life, he was apparently much closer to Chico, you know. Um, he was a card and a gambler, and he was essentially on the verge of, uh, you know, being a career criminal when when Minnie uh, put him in the act to take the place of Gummo, who was joining the army. That's true. And he and Zeppo definitely looked up to Chico, too, admired him. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Chico and, and Zeppo sort of paired up in the Broadway period. They were the two who would be out nightclubbing and, you know, cruising women and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> On stage, he wound up being Groucho's partner because uh, yeah. Harpo and Chico were this natural unit together. Um, and I wonder sometimes if that also kept Zeppo down a bit. He was paired with the brother who was least likely to give him space. They did a lot of things with the four of them together on stage, but for filming purposes, that was very difficult. So they did pair off in the films more yes. because of that. So maybe that's another reason that, that contributed to getting rid of a little bit of Zeppo because he maybe didn't work as well one-on-one with another brother. He just seemed to fill a more subservient role. Absolutely right. And and you mentioned monkey business as the exception yeah. to all that. And it's very true. In, in monkey yeah. business, more than any of the other films, they're a foursome. I have that quote from Maxine from if anybody's read Maxine, Maxine Marx's book, it says um, it's on page 38 and growing up with Chico. I didn't know Zeppo at all. He was a big playboy around town, but I found him a cold potato. He was funny. Everyone knew that. Yet his humor was too much like Groucho's to fit into the act. Groucho never liked that particular comparison. He hated to share the spotlight with anyone. So Zeb was left out and had to play the banal romantic leads that we all knew he was much too good for. Now, um, I think those romantic leads are lovely that he plays. I love them. I would have loved to have seen more of that. But that's a very interesting quote from her. That's her take on everything. Yeah. Yeah, there has to be an explanation. I I think I know I've said this many, many times, but it it does bear repeating that you don't really need a, a strong comic persona to be funny. What you need is jokes. And there are plenty of scenes where he sat there. Uh, the one I always give, the example I always give is the Chamber of Deputies in, in Doug Soup, in which he has literally no lines, but he sat there next to Groucho. All he needs is a couple of jokes. He could have had a couple of Grouchos mm-hmm. and he would have been funny straight away. So you yeah. do get the impression that he, he is, whether it's Groucho or whether it's the writers, mm. the, the Paramount films are simply not trying. And as Bob said, you know, when he went to MGM, Thalberg would not have wanted to spend big money on somebody who doesn't do anything. And I think he would have said, well, you know, give the poor guy a couple of jokes and he would have been given some. So there must have been rumblings way before that, that he wanted out. There I think so. Been. Yeah. He wanted maybe after the, the both of his parents died, didn't Frenchie, I think Frenchie passed away, what, 33? Yeah. And Minnie had already been dead yeah. by yeah. 29, mm-hmm. was it? So he maybe he, you know, he had that familial loyalty is very, very important. So maybe that's what he was waiting for, you know? 
And it is it is extremely hard to pin down really what what he does in 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 those films. I mean, and in preparation for this, I, mm. I uh, posted something in the Facebook group saying describe Zeppo in one word or one sentence or whatever. Uh, and the, the the same terms come up again and again: straight man, uh, romantic lead. You know, and and he really, except for in in flashes, he he wasn't any of these things. He, he really wasn't the straight man, and he he wasn't really much of a romantic lead. Uh, only really in monkey business. Um, a lot of people think that what he did with the scene in Animal Crackers is brilliant in the take a letter scene. The hunga dunga scene, yeah. They love what he did in that. I, I do. I think he's a, a pretty capable, um, you know, a partner for Groucho mm-hmm. in that scene. And if there were more scenes like it, you know, uh, that would be nice. I mean, it's hard to say whether it, it seems that they were better with him than without him. Um, but because he was in their first five films, which are generally better than the films they made after that, you know, how much credit to give Zeppo for the superiority of the Paramounts is probably a, a <laughs> low number. But I, <laughs> but I think there's also something about the, his presence in the act made it a random collection of blood relations. What, what's required to be a Marx brother? You know, you have to be a, a son of Sam and Minnie Marx. Um, and he had that only requirement. And one of the things that makes the Marx Brothers so different and such an enigmatic team is that you would never say like, oh, I got it, a, a, a smart ass, an Italian and a mute. Um, <laughs> the way Laurel and Hardy, you know, it seemed obvious, you put these guys together, that'll be funny. And so having this other brother who nobody would ever think that that would be a necessary ingredient, it just contributes to the unlikeliness of the Marx Brothers and the fact that this is a comedy team that only could have emerged through family and coincidence and, and decades in vaudeville. And it's a good contrast to have a well-dressed, good-looking, like society climber type in there with the other three. It's, it's intriguing to see them, to look at them, to hear them. I mean, yeah. it's... It's the contrast is nice and works really, really well. It's like in the Leo Gorsi stuff where there's always like a good looking guy in there with them. You know, whoever was like the kind of look of the time, whatever Mm -hmm. era those the Bowery boys were doing their movies in. There's always that guy, that good looking guy that's going to fall in love with someone. It's it's nice. I mean, I like that as a woman. I have to be honest. (laughs) I see Zeppo's potential and I wish that they could have reached it a little bit more because in that thread that you were talking about, Matthew, which I love that thread about Zeppo. You know, yep. I put hot. That was my word for Zeppo. <laughs> I was amazed. You know, I was so surprised yeah. by that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody was. Yeah. Most of the movies, though, they do also have a guy fulfilling that mm. role. You mm. know, there's also a young, handsome, romantic leading man, male ingenue character. And Zeppo, for uh, uh, numerous reasons that we could theorize about, you know, wasn't offered that. I mean, that's part of the, the enigma. I am saying enigma an awful lot. Uh, that's part of the Zeppo enigma. There was no attempt made to justify his presence. And that mm-hmm. in itself seems very characteristic of the Marx Brothers. Uh, we're not going to make up a reason. We're not going to make this make sense. You know, he's just there. Yeah, as we talked about when we did uh, the Coconuts, they had this hotel cork be the uh, romantic lead. And Zeppo was a hotel cork with nothing to do. But they never, I guess they never considered making him the romantic lead, even though it was so obvious for him for those roles to be combined into one. Yeah, and Animal Crackers, I think, Animal Crackers has got, I think, two pairs of characters uh, condensed oh, into stage, into, yes. into single characters from the, yeah, from the original play uh, yeah. when when uh, Riskin wrote the screenplay. 
he he converted two pairs of characters into into single characters. But obviously, it was never even considered for a second that um, Zeppo could be uh, you know the struggling artist as well. Yeah, partly I guess that had to do with you know the appeal of adding another marquee name. I mean, the the guys who played those romantic leads usually Hell Thompson. Hal Thompson, yeah. If you got Hal Thompson in your movie, you're going to find something for that guy to do. Perhaps not in his case, but some of the others, you know, they did add some star value, especially in the MGM era when luring people who didn't like the Marx Brothers oddly became uh, paramount. Mm-hmm. How long have you been sitting on that one, Noah? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think really we've got the question the wrong way around, haven't we? It's not. It's not why did he leave after five films. It's why did he stick around for for five Good films? Point. Because we know that he is uh, he's chafing right right at the start. There are reports, you know, from the late twenties where uh, he's saying he's going to leave. We can answer. We can answer that with the depression. Well, he wanted the bucks. You mean he had to survive? I mean, it was probably a very scary. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. your point, Andrea, about Minnie's Minnie and to, to a lesser degree Frenchie, uh, as long as they were alive, I do think the the family ideal of there being four Marx Brothers um, that was always going to be upheld. Plus, the fact that they were bringing an existing product, the uh, Coconut Show, which he had a somewhat of a significant part in, they were transferring that, and he was part of that. Now, if it was just the Marxes going out to Hollywood and auditioning, they would have said, "Okay, we'll sign these three, mm. but we're not signing him." Yeah, he wanted to be a a screenwriter, and he, as early as nineteen thirty, he's writing muscle bound um, screen treatments. Yeah, there's something called muscle bound about a um a, a six day cyclist uh, fighting for the, for the love of a of a beautiful girl with 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 a with an inventor. Uh, very strange, hokey hokey script, and he also co-wrote a script with with Perelman. I think is that right? I don't know who, but I know that he was he was ex- he was trying to explore all these different avenues for his I guess either revenue or his creative pursuits. I really don't know, but he had a lot of a lot of things going on. Like the uh, I found out that he actually didn't just buy the patents; he actually did invent during all of this time as well, as he was writing and having the age. He did both, I think, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, he he bought some and 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 invented some as well. Yeah, he was to some extent a commercial fisherman and a citrus farmer, and he had all these his fingers oh, in various pies. Yeah, motorcycle, horse wrenching. Yeah, yeah. uh, oh, right, he was yes, a mechanic. And- you know, if, can we talk about his performances again? Because I actually wanted to talk about Animal Crackers. Well, what I thought we'd do actually is is we would go. Uh, let's go through them film by film because I've um, I've done a I've done a tally. Uh, for each one of how many scenes he's in, uh, how many of those scenes uh, he has one line or less in, uh, total screen time, and how many scenes he sneaks off in the middle. <laughs> wow. um, and the results, the results actually surprised me. So um, let's let's uh, let's get specific and and should we kick off with uh, with, with coconuts? Um, he comes in there about uh, just under five minutes in with the. Uh, couple of telegrams mr hammer um most of this scene he has his back to the camera but he keeps turning around and smiling which is mm. quite nice because normally mm. he's uh, he's trying to hide but on this occasion he, he is selling himself he's there for about one minute ten seconds at about seven minutes in he comes back for the the famous yes sir scene um and he sticks around there for for 20 seconds 
he's back at about 14 and a half minutes in for 30 seconds where he's asleep at the desk. Um, then at 18 minutes, he comes back for the uh, historic meeting of all four Marx Brothers. Uh, and it's doubly historic because that's his first sneaking off moment. Then he's off until 53 minutes in. He's back for the auction in which he doesn't do anything except make little pencil notes in a notebook <laughs> and stare at Polly and Bob like a deer in a car's headlights. But he does at least hang around and he's there for nine minutes. At 73 minutes in, he turns up at the party. Uh, he has one line. Yes, he'll be here directly yeah. <laughs> when uh, Margaret Dumont asks him uh, where Groucho is. To, <laughs> what are you doing here with Groucho? Um, but he does, he does join in with Pop Goes the Weasel, and he does join in with uh, He Wants His Shirt. But when they sit down at the table, where is he? There's plenty of extras there. He sneaked off. That's uh, four minutes 30. And then he's back uh, at 88 minutes to wave goodbye. He has seven scenes and a total screen time of 17 minutes yikes it's one it's one of his it's one of his least if not the least relevant i think of all his roles isn't it i show that one to my students that's one of the ones because we do a unit on uh, tin pan alley in irving berlin so um i like to show that movie you know for the, the music um and then i ease the kids into learning about the marx brothers and some of the later stuff because having you know the the sound come out is very significant when you're teaching music history to the kids but anyway it's painful to me to see him in coconuts it's and the kids don't even notice him they, they don't even they don't even know he's a marx brother at all i'm telling you if it wasn't for that mm. that initial scene with the 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 credits i would never even know myself yeah and if he doesn't come on at the party in a silly costume as well. <laughs> in the shaking hands the shaking hands bit yeah the shaking hands and coming on at the party in the costume you would never know who's a marx brother no and yet in that shaking hands bit, that beautifully choreographed moment, uh, in a way, that moment is one of the best arguments for his presence in any yes. of the films because it's so beautiful and you need it the four beautiful. of them and, and he's fully there for it. He, he yeah. is also, you know, I've heard of in some uh, revivals of the Coconuts um, where the actor playing Zeppo didn't realize <laughs> that he was playing one of the Marx Brothers. He oh. thought, oh, I just have another role. <laughs> oh, that hurts. That does hurt oh. a lot. And then, um, but also in the film, you know, his youth is is really a factor here. We're so used to making the, the good point that by the time they made their first movie, the Marx Brothers were already in their 40s, you know, like they were already done with the early part of their career. Yeah. Groucho was 39, but okay, they're in their 40s. But but not Zeppo, he's in his late 20s. Yeah. Coconuts. Right. But just as bald. <laughs> well he was an achiever they gave him a good piece i think in that one he had a decent piece but that <laughs> that handshaking scene i love but then when we get to that dance at the end it is just so cringy to see him join in with his brothers who are just larger than life and then he's dancing with them and that made me wonder like who is this guy when i remember watching that movie the first time he's a non-entity in the movie that's basically it mm. Well, just that opening scene when he has his back to the camera and keeps turning for no particular reason just to look at the camera and smile and just to make himself seen. It's very awkward. It is awkward. And he does that thing of um, where he pretends to talk as well to the to the bellboys, but obviously he's just opening and closing his mouth, yeah. <laughs> um, which you know obviously was an, a necessity of the of the sound recording of the day. But 
employed is he making obvious that that's what he's doing? Uh, he's very theatrical. He, he he's very much like uh, he's on stage rather than on screen. But again, I guess you know films were new and uh, and all that to them, so you can't blame him. But yeah, the, the, also the during the auction, um, as I, I mentioned this on our Coconuts uh, podcast, but the bit where uh, Bob and Polly have a of a kind of um, a tearful farewell. Uh, he he stood behind them. He's in shot, and he really looks like a waxwork. He's just staring at them. He's not moving, and his face has just got this almost almost chilling, um, frozen quality. Um, I guess this is as good a time as any to to, to mention the point that, that you made, Andrea, which is that he likes to have something to hold on to or something to be doing. For most of that auction scene, he's fiddling about with yes. a notebook and pencil. That's the nervous, uncomfortable actor's savior. I remember when I was I was going to school and I, I went to school for opera and I'm a very uncomfortable like person performing, but you know, when you're majoring in opera, you gotta do that. And they would always tell me, hold the piano when you're singing to just keep you grounded. Mm. So you have something to do with your hands and your body. Uh, and that's, that's good advice when you're, you don't really know how to mm. ground yourself or control your, your energy at all. That's what I see in him. But also on stage, he might've had more of an outlet for that energy. And then when you're filming, you know, you're doing this shot, and then that shot, and you have to be so focused, and maybe that's what translates in his in the films. You know, we see that. So I, I mean, I truly don't know. I'm not trying to put him down as an actor because he may have been great on stage. Like I really don't know. But in film, it's a really good point about him always having to hold on to something, and and you know, I think it's also partly a function of him not having a character to play. I mean, on one hand, you could say Groucho had his cigar. I mean, it's a familiar stage trick to always have business to do. Um, but if you have a character to play, um, then you're always doing something, even if you're not doing anything. Um, but he didn't even have that to that lifeboat to latch onto. Yeah, great point. Whereas you, you can see you can see Harpo thinking, OK, I'm the professor. I'm attending yeah. a party. Right. And Zeppo couldn't think of one, apparently. That's that's a shame, too, that he couldn't make some internal like I'm I'm going to be the good looking guy or I'm going to be the suave guy or they're doing that. But I'm just going to be doing my own thing. It seems like he was totally blank when he wasn't actually yeah. given a line. And he couldn't even be the straight man. Like, I, I mean, as you said earlier, Matthew, like the perception of him as the team's straight man is is clearly incorrect. Um, but if he had made that choice, I mean, you could imagine Zeppo saying, oh, OK, I, there's no room for me as a comedian, but I'm going to be an indispensable straight man. But that role was already filled, too, um, yeah. by Dumont and others. And Zeppo right. and that's an art in itself. And Dumont did such an amazing job at what she was doing. Yeah. Not to mention all the other heavies in, in their yeah. in their films and shows. And Zeppo yeah. doesn't seem like part of the rest of the world. You know, he's more a Marx brother than a person. Somewhere in the twilight. That's the thing. Yes. In the twilight. Yes. We don't know. Though, as I mentioned, he was a target for Groucho, particularly in Horse Feathers, that they never had after he left. Groucho certainly wouldn't have talked to Alan Jones or any of those guys the way he talked to Zeppo. So, you know, he was a target, if not a straight man. Good point. And that was funny, too. That is funny. There is a very telling moment in the Anobly interview where he says, you know, I got out of the act because there was nothing for me to do. There were three three comedians, and I would have liked to have done something, but there was there was nothing for me to do there. And Anobly says to him, "Well, what what would you what did you want to do? What would you have liked to do?" And he turns it right around and says, "Oh, I never gave it a moment's thought mm. because I knew there was no chance." Mm. So Dead. so he's not even 
you know, he's not even trying, as you say, you know, there's nothing in his mind. He, he's not, oh, I'm this, I'm this person, I'm the straight man. I'm the he could have been intimidated. I mean, that's very plausible because those guys are so super talented. Oh my God. So yeah. he might've been intimidated and he was so much younger, as we were saying, 14, 15 years younger than Chico. He looked up to these guys, I bet, and loved them so much as his brothers, but just was so intimidated on stage. You know, it would have been interesting to see how his uh, screen persona might have evolved at MGM once he wasn't that uh, youthful figure and had grown in the middle age. It might have gone somewhere totally different. Well, what would they have done with him in the in uh, at the circus? Well, maybe they thought because his looks. He wasn't classically handsome. He had a certain look to him. They didn't think his looks were going to last, perhaps, so they couldn't fill that role anymore. Mm. Duck Soup is the height of his handsomeness. I mean, he's very, very good looking in that movie. You mean the shirtless stuff? When he... <laughs> I, you know what? More that yeah. they chose the right hair piece for him, honestly, that made his face look really super attractive. By the way, you should note that he doesn't wear a hairpiece in the uh, house that Shadows built us, Skit. That, yeah. That's the one time you actually see his real... Um, receding hairline because uh, he's got that he's got that skimmer hat on and it seems to sort of have plastered i it's <laughs> like whatever he's got on his head is mm-hmm. pushed down it struck me today looking at his bits in the in horse feathers during the football match there's a there's a shot of him with where his hair is extremely sweaty at the height of the, the match and it's kind of hanging down over his face did, did they did they give him a, a sweaty toupee or they tousled I mean, it for him? How does that work? Yeah, they, they had to they right, sprayed okay. it off and everything. And then he, you sure. see him go like this. I'm smoothing my hair down. He does that because it's probably he's afraid it'll yeah. stick up in the back. Yeah, that's a lot of hair on him. That's definitely a lot of hair. Okay. I guess the only way we could really evaluate his abilities would be if he had only made had one significant role in something without his brothers that i I wish we had that to reference because uh, i I don't know that he would have been you know brilliant and charismatic way beyond what we know of him but sometimes (laughs) you think like you know how sometimes um especially in family dynamics you know you might feel much more inhibited getting up in front of your family and doing your thing than you would with your friends. Um, and I wonder if, especially in his case, he was the youngest, he was the maybe the least obviously extraordinary of them. Um, and I wonder if there was a level of inhibition in the company of his brilliant older brothers and, and that that might have just kept him down. Well, if only we had the radio shows that he apparently did. Didn't he record a bunch of radio shows? Yeah. I would have loved to have heard that just to hear his voice and his personality. Are you listening, Mr. Tough Teller? Get it out. <laughs> Someone has the radio shows? He has a lot of radio I gotta shows. I got to hear I, that. I think I'm right in saying the Zeppo ones he doesn't have. Oh. Uh, yeah. But he, he will be listening and he will certainly let us know if he does. Um, okay, let's move on to Animal Crackers then, which is, a, which is a strange one. Because on the one hand, it gives him the most to do in terms of <laughs> legitimizing himself as a Marx brother. On the other hand, it, it gives him rather the least to do. Uh, he comes on uh, five minutes in to represent the captain who insists on my informing you, um, which is a wonderful intro for him. He comes down the steps. Uh, he's announced. He trots down like a, for all the world, like a Marx brother. Um, and he has a, that nice little spoken singing, uh, singing bit. Um, he's there for four and a half minutes, and then he does sneak off. You can see him. Uh, realized that he said his last line uh, uh, and he disappears. That's at about nine minutes in. He's then 
away till 66 minutes in. Uh, an mm -hmm. hour later, he turns up for the take a letter scene. So uh, again, uh, one of the scenes that that people who who uh, advocate for him put, put forward as one of his best scenes. Uh, but that's 66 minutes in. He's there for five minutes, 40. He's then absent again until 88 minutes in when he comes on with them um, for my old Kentucky home. Again, he sneaks off, uh, but this is this is probably my favourite of all his of all his sneaking offs because uh, he is in it again at the end of the scene. He comes in just in time to say, "What's the idea?" and gets sprayed with the flit. <laughs> so he actually sneaks off and sneaks back on, <laughs> which is quite a skill. People who say he wasn't talented uh, really have that to reckon with. Uh, but it's but it's quite a chilling tally for the fourth Marx brother. He's in three scenes, one of them has one line or less. Uh, here, there's one sneaking off and one sneaking off and on again, and he's on screen for 11 and a half minutes. That guy was not talented, but he was sneaky. <laughs> sneaky guy. That was his talent. Sneaky and fast. His performance in Animal Crackers, what a shame, because what a great movie. It's so amazing. The, the scenes are amazing in that he's so low energy, though, in everything that, that he's in. I can't stand his intro of Groucho in the beginning. I don't like it. I don't like the talk singy <laughs> thing that he does. I represent the captain who insists on my involving you of these conditions under which he can't In one thing, he is very strict. He wants his women young and fit, and as for men, he won't have any tramps here. His range, mm -hmm. he's baritone, he's like... His range is around there when he sings, but I guess that was written a little too high for him. So he spoke, sang it, which I know that was popular at the time. People did that in an exuberant way to say their lines. It doesn't work. I would have loved, oh, some people might think it worked, but I would have loved to have heard his voice, unfortunately, you know, if he could have done that. But it's just, it's, he doesn't look attractive. He has a very uncomfortable way of saying his lines. It's very poorly delivered, except that take a letter scene. That might be the closest we get to hearing him sing live. Well, my old Kentucky home is a good example of of him singing really almost louder than the other three as well. That speak sing singing in Captain Spaulding is so puzzling, and I, it complicates the question, I think, of whether he's really singing at other times, like in Horse Feathers, which I never would have thought to question, except the fact that, yeah, even in the main... Uh, verses of the song, you know, he went into the jungle where all the monkeys throw nuts. He doesn't sing that either. And it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I always assumed that the, I represent the captain who insists on my informing, that that was written to be spoken. But nope, in the score, it's, I represent the captain who insists on my informing you. It's the melody that's playing under him. And he just doesn't. His voice probably couldn't modulate. It couldn't get high enough. Yeah. To, to finish that. Then off. again, you know, in Duck Soup, we have, you know, how oh, cry for five flies, five <laughs> <Yes>. flies. <laughs> yes. You know, it's almost like the one the one time we really get to hear him sing in Horse Feathers, he's, he's almost too good, isn't he? <laughs> That's the problem. Whenever he sang, uh, he would cry. And so they could only use it sometimes. <laughs> His own voice brought him to tears. Oh, that's funny. 
Okay, so once we get to Hollywood, uh, things change a little simply because of, of, of the nature of filmmaking as opposed to, to film theatre. The, the scenes are, are shorter and they're intercut. So uh, he has more of, a, more of a screen presence or appears to uh, than would ever have been the case if Monkey Business had been a Broadway show initially. Wait, is uh, that true? Or didn't they, isn't there one of their Broadway shows where they were on a boat and that's what Monkey Business was based on? Well, in Mr. Green's reception, yeah, it's it starts on a boat and then the next scene is at a party. And so it does seem to be the the same uh structure as monkey business in some way. But I don't I don't know if that was, you know, coincidental or okay. or what. I mean, monkey business seems to have originated with the idea that the Marx brothers were themselves like their stage presence made them seem like stowaways on an ocean liner. And that was said mm-hmm. often among the writers and and it just occurred that oh well that would that would make sense as a uh, as a premise for a comedy for them. And then like uh, the coconuts, where a lot of Zeppo stuff was uh, left on the cutting room floor, and uh, animal crackers, where a lot of the scenes uh, he was involved in were actually cut before they started filming. This was a finished script, the whole piece, so it was filmed as is. So his stuff is pretty much all in there. So yeah, so Monkey Business, I'm going to actually go through scene by scene and stop and, and we can comment as, as we go because it's much more, um, much more intricately structured than, than the others. So his first scene is, is right at the top of the film. He's there for four minutes. Uh, he joins in Sweet Adeline. He joins in uh, the, the general, the, the barrel scenes. Uh, he joins in the chase. He joins in the little musical number where he's on the saxophone. Uh, and then finally, um, he semi sneaks off when they're hiding behind the deck chairs. Um, he does look up and run away. Uh, it makes sense because his character would be running away. They are being chased, but nonetheless, the other, the other three stick around. So it's a semi sneak after four minutes, but nonetheless, um, it, it has been established. It's written into the script. <laughs> it's been established that he is one of the Marx Brothers, and he's been, you know, he's been in the barrels with them. He's been running about with them, and he's been playing music with them. So, in a way, it, 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 that might be his best. Although I just did pick up his intro down the stairs, it probably is his best introduction to to any film. Well, he doesn't actually join in; he starts. In all my dreams, that's him starting that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess I, since I don't see it, I guess I could be wrong, but I think that's pretty safe to say that that is his voice starting that song. I think so. I've heard some argue that it's Chico, but um, but it, it, I agree that it sounds more like Zeppo. I used to think it was Chico, but uh, but I don't anymore. No, Chico is singing with a much lower soft palate than than Zeppo sings with, and Zeppo just sings right out, right from his speaking voice, right out. Yeah, it's right. totally different. I agree. When yeah. he's singing in that style, see, for a long time I believed that maybe. It wasn't Zeppo singing in Horse Feathers, but now that I, I mean, it, it could be different styles. And that was his regular speaking voice style in Monkey Business. That's a good point then, actually, because that is him singing it, isn't he? He's not, he's not saying, you know, in all my dreams. Right. So, you know, he's, yeah. not, he's not doing any kind of weird. If I remember, that's, it's in D major, I think it was. I can't remember. I had notated it once. And I think that that's a perfect range for him to sing. And it has Groucho singing the tenor harmony, Chico singing the baritone harmony. That is an excellent intro of Zeppo. And it's like, not only is he an equal, one of the Marx brothers, but he's also at sometimes kind of embarrassed of them. And sometimes he's taking part in them. It's, it's a very interesting, almost character. 
but if you want to go on to the other scenes, because there's some things I, I love and hate about him in this one. <laughs> okay, well, he's now off uh, after that until um, 14 minutes in. So that's not, uh, sorry, 12 minutes in. So that's not bad at all for a second appearance. Uh, certainly not compared to the previous film. Um, and his next appearance is, uh, in Zeppo terms, an extremely important scene. It's not a, it's not a scene, uh, in fact, I've, in my notes here, I've called it the deadly handkerchief <laughs> scene. Um, it doesn't look like much, uh, but it is nonetheless the first ever Zeppo scene. It's a scene written just for Zeppo to be Zeppo-ish in. Um, and I wonder if um, that was Perelman's decision, his input, because um, I, I think I'm right in saying, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that he did, he had by this time co-written a, a screen treatment with Perelman. Um, and I think Perelman has, has given him a little Zeppo scene here. It's, there's nothing much to it. It only lasts for a minute. He's pretty stiff. Oh, you bet you are. <laughs> you know, the trees. Oh, I love, I love them. Um, but it's a Zeppo scene. Well, it's mm -hmm. it's like he has typical juvenile lines and then he he checks out he checks her all out you know the back of her and everything looks her up and down i mean that's Zeppo. i don't think anybody told him to do that that's pretty good and i honestly think that he did a, a really good job with that scene yeah, and he's so got a little gag with the handkerchief you know uh yeah. yes it is you know that's that's actually i think a glimmer of the marx brother he could have been you know right, that's right. very marxian like you're it's a flirtatious technique to drop your handkerchief uh, um but when she does that, he's to him, it's a free handkerchief, you know, the sort of petty thievery that that Harpo <laughs> and Chico are so fond of. And he almost shows chemistry with another person, yeah. which I think is rare for Zeppo. He just doesn't really engage in chemistry. It's almost like when I look at him on, on the, in the films, he's just thinking about what he has to do. And I have to stand here and I have to look, get, get my mark and be in the light and all the other things that were going on in his mind as he was filming and being directed by everybody. It, it's very difficult for him to show any chemistry at all. That's one of my criticism that I have about him, but he actually shows a little with her because he probably yeah. loved women. Yeah. And that was probably maybe more than anything else, a kind of thing that he, that his brothers would have to respect, you know, if he had emerged as the romantic lead in their films, be like, all right, so that's the deal. You know, we're mm -hmm. funny and Zeppo gets the girls. And, and that would have been probably, uh, if if it had been sustained or if it had been sustainable, um, that might have done more for his um, um, status in the family than anything else. At least for the in the films, it would have definitely given us something to really appreciate about him. Yeah, but then we would we would have been deprived of all those wonderful other leading men in the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kenny Baker. Oh. okay. So he he leaves. Uh, loving the trees uh, 13 minutes in he's back uh, a, mere, a mere 12 minutes later 25 minutes in he's back with two lines uh, in the scene where he uh, joins Groucho and Alki after after all the funny stuff has happened hmm. he, he comes in and says I was I was just looking for him um, he gets a minute and 10 out of that. Uh, there's some more Alky Briggs stuff uh, later, 33 minutes and 34 minutes, where he has no lines at all. But he does uh, something which is ironic, given what we know about uh, his character in reality. Uh, he does twice. He does some scared of guns shtick. Uh, he he, uh, he he and Groucho throw their guns in a bucket of water, and then later on, when Groucho has got a gun, he looks at it nervously and it's pointed. It's pointed right at his stomach. 
Right, right, and he and he and he's, uh, he pushes it away. So uh, he does a bit of a bit of visual shtick there, but he, he has no lines at all. But but isn't it nice that they've bothered to have him there, and he's bothered to show up? I mean, that's something. Yes, it? and it may be worth mentioning here that juvenile delinquent Zeppo, just before joining the act, uh, did carry a gun. Uh, he may have had more firearm experience than any of the other brothers. And one of the things Minnie was rescuing him from was uh, was gunplay. Do we know exactly what he what he what he was into? I mean, was he was he running with gangsters? Or I mean, how what was he what was he doing with that? With that he, he wasn't actually involved in illicit um, crime of any. You know, he, he wasn't a, a bootlegger or anything like that. No, I mean, not major organized crime, but uh, there's some interesting stuff in the Robert Bader's book about his activities at this point. He was a kind of, you know, small, he was emerging and he was growing into what would have been a kind of small time Chicago thug. Um, I think they stole cars and things like that. Um, so he wasn't part of any actual gang, you know, uh, major criminal gang. We're just talking about kind of street crime. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say those scenes, unfortunately, as much as I love monkey business and I love Zeppo's character in monkey business, he sadly, in my opinion, he shows what a bad actor he is in those scenes with Alki and with Groucho. Groucho's so at ease with his character. I mean, Groucho's brilliant in these scenes and Alki is just amazing. And of course, Thelma Todd is She's, she's just unbelievable and she can generate chemistry with anybody. But he comes in, he pops in, he turns around, he's looking all over the room, he's wringing his hands. Um, he's saying his lines fast. He's jittery. It doesn't seem like that really is the way his character should have been at that point. But I've talked to other people that say that he's playing it jumpy purposely, that, that he's supposed to be that way. So I don't know. I mean, it's just my opinion. That's an example of what I what I called in the, in the intro compensatory overdrive. It's uh, it's this this innate desire, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and it, there's just this innate desire, I think, to uh, to account for him in any in any way possible. Mm. I mean, there's a very good example actually in in his next scene, which is 35 minutes in, uh, which is um, with Briggs and and Lucille on the deck, uh, where Groucho dances with Thelma Todd mm-hmm. on the deck. Um, Again, he's just standing around. Uh, he's got one line, which is, uh, don't you think we better go? And, and boy, uh, did, he, did he feel the truth of that, I'm sure. Um, but he, again, he's just staring at them as if he's hypnotized. They're being funny. I think he leans on the wall at that point. You bet he does. But before he does that, he looks behind him for something to lean against. Uh- <laughs> you can see his brain saying, what can I lean against? Mm-hmm. He turns around, he looks, he sees the rail. And he leans on the rail, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, you, you, you breathe it. You breathe a sigh of relief for him, uh, and he's just staring. He just stares at people. Mm-hmm. As a person who is not a good actress, anytime I've been on stage in anything, the moment where you don't have that thing to lean on is very scary <laughs> because you're like, I'm gonna get dizzy and trip right now. I don't know what I am doing, and you're just looking. It's like a lifeline sometimes. So I'm not saying you know. I'm just. It could possibly be that he was just so uncomfortable with himself that he just was like, God, get me to the wall right now. Oh, now I could lean on it and look cool. <laughs> when he does lean on it, though, he looks cool. And when he, he does, does deliver cool. some of his lines, like, you know, don't you think we should get out of here? It's cool. And it works, in my opinion. He's more lifelike than the wall that he's leaning against, too, which <laughs> the comparison. 
I guess it's never a good sign when you're... You can tell the difference. It's true. <laughs> it's never really a good sign when you're evaluating a performance and you are watching an actor and your first thought is, is he doing that on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> he's lucky he's good looking, though, honestly. He really is. Okay, so there's more, more compensatory overdrive next. 40 minutes in, we have uh, the 22nd scene that, that people uh, who love Zeppo pretend is funny. <laughs> I was just thinking, after the boat lands, I may never see you again. Does it matter to you whether you ever see me again? I can't think of anything in the world that matters more. Mary, I'll never leave you. Um, it is the second Zeppo scene. It is a, it is a genuine Zeppo scene. But it's not funny, is it? It's not one of my favorites, but I remember I posted some a thread in the council about your favorite Zeppo moment or something like that. And someone did write that. A lot of people actually wrote that, that I love when he says mm. that line and then he gets up and he leaves. It's not a favorite of mine, but I can yeah. understand the writing. I guess it's funny for people. It's not particularly funny. The first time I just think it. if that's what you're, you're staking <laughs> your, your claim that he's good on, um, I think you're in trouble, really. It is supposed <laughs> to be funny, though. I mean, it is at least an attempt to give yeah. him a, a, a humorous It moment. is a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. You know, I mean, it's, wrote a joke. it's similar to, although not as good as the handkerchief moment, um, a, as a sort of glimmer of what his comic character might have been. Um, so he's back then at 40 minutes in when they're trying to sneak off the boat. He doesn't have any actual lines, but he's doing what, I don't know if this is what you call it over there, but it's what we call rhubarbing, where you just you just say what your character might say as part of the general hubbub. And you can hear him say, we have to get off the boat uh, several times. He's there for about, for about 30 seconds. Uh, but then 42 minutes in, he's back for what, in my opinion, is uh, his passport to greatness. Uh, but it's Chevalier's passport, not his, uh, where he turns up and says that uh, he's found Chevalier's passport. They uh, they then go into the passport line. Uh, and he, he does an impression of, of Chevalier, which, unlike his brothers, isn't really a comedy impression, but it is incredibly... It's so charming that it's funny. He does it so well. Uh, and like them, just like the other three, uh, the idea that he can somehow get a, get a, get, you know, use his charm to make people think that he is what was then probably the most famous film star in the world, mm. um, is about as authentically, about as authentically Marxian as he ever gets. That's my name. Maurice Chevalier. Yeah. This picture doesn't look like you. Sure, I'm Marsh Valley. I'll sing for you. If a nightingale who sing like you, they sing much better than they do. Never mind this. Get back in the line where you belong. I like the fact that he's responsible for establishing for the audience the premise of that scene. You know, when he says, you've got to sing one of Chevalier's songs to get off of this boat. Not only is it one of the funnier things he ever said on film, um, but, you know, maybe that is something. You have to be a Marx brother to lay that out and have it not be questioned, you know. Well, that's sort of mirrored in A Night at the Opera when Lesperi uh, has to sing a no, song, that's right? that's true, yeah. On the, on the ship, yeah. That's true. So singing songs in order to leave water vessels is a recurring theme <laughs> in their work. And the straw hats are funny as well, aren't they? Yeah. Because they, 
other than the straw hats. Mm. They make no effort whatsoever to look like Chevalier. They don't look like Chevalier in any way, shape or form, but they have put a straw hat on as if that'll do the trick. <laughs> uh, and Zeppo, you know, is as much a part of that as the others. The passport line is one of my favorite Zeppo moments. As I was saying, the moxie that he has where he's like, yeah, yeah, that's why you want to hear me sing. All right. And he just sings like that. It's just it's it's good energy there. It's it's really it's it's handsome. You know, it's a good he does a good job there. Why do we keep coming back to the handsome part? Why, do, why does that keep weaving into the conversation? Now, people in the council have actually written to me and said, what do you like about him? Do you really find him that handsome? Like people have really questioned it. I don't know. Yeah. And, and any, a lot of the women that post in the, the council agree. So it's not just me. And not just women. Right, not just women. I mean, I know if they were if they were for women, I think th- th- there's always a tendency to pick out the most attractive, uh, and he clearly is the most attractive, well, sexually attractive of, of the this, four. But I wonder if you put him up against, you know, three other guys. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what he uniquely. uniquely I, thought, I sure thought you were going to say <laughs> Cary Grant or <laughs> Clark Gable. Just three <laughs> other guys. Any other guys. <laughs> All four of them appeal to the women. There's there's fans that find all four of them super attractive, especially Harpo. Mm -hmm. Groucho out of makeup. A lot of people say he's very handsome. And of course, Checo had that following that he had. And I'm sure he was super sexy on stage as well. Um, You know, that the hat, the Pinocchio hat that he wears kind of takes away from his sex appeal when he's playing that character, obviously. But Mm. yeah, I think that Zeppo's looks could stand up against other men of the time you know he wasn't super tall but against his brothers he looked tall yeah and his body was great <laughs> it's really nice yeah it's interesting <laughs> about that he he, <laughs> he was a significantly uh, bigger taller and more muscular guy than than any of the brothers and um it makes me think you know, we know, of course, he understudied for Groucho sometimes. Well, that must have looked a little different. Um, he also went on, he went on for all of them, apparently. In the scrapbook, he specifically says that he went on for Harpo at least once. Wow. Um, that, you know, it must have looked a little different. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think he's that tall. He's probably like an inch or two taller than Groucho. If you look at Animal Crackers, he's wearing kind of a higher heel in his shoes. Yeah. These are some of the things I have looked at. Oh, you have too. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are dozens of us. You know, in all these stories about Zeppo going on for other Marxes, it always brings to mind who's going on for Zeppo then. <laughs> yeah. Do they just mm. the character mm. not uh, appear? Probably not. Or, or maybe just had a more mm. conventional understudy. I mean, yeah. you could find somebody else who could step in as the, the male romantic lead in Animal Crackers. Yeah, whoever fit into his suit. Yeah. <laughs> How strange, though. We know he stood in for Groucho in, in Animal Crackers, don't we? So mm. he would not only have to have been Groucho, but he would have to have done that dictation scene with someone else mm, yeah. being him, which mm. must have been very, very difficult. Right. Well, it's like those stunt productions where you do True West and switch parts every night. You know, the two actors keep switching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the well, we know the Marx Brothers did a little bit of that. Harpo and Chico switching roles on one of the tours for for Maxine's benefit. Wow. I mean, the idea that the Marx Brothers are to some extent interchangeable seems unthinkable because mm-hmm. their their characters and specialties are so different. But that's part of the code of the Brotherhood. 
Okay, so from here on, he he continues to have a, a role in in plot terms, but it's basically all over him as a as a comedian. Uh, we see him under the blanket when they when they get off for ten seconds. Um, we then see him entering the party. Uh, Forty nine minutes in, he meets Mary and he has a little dance with her. He dances quite dances quite niftily i think for 40 seconds um he then stands next to mary for 10 seconds when uh, her father wants you to meet the sweetest little thing in the whole wide world uh he's hanging around with mary again at 65 minutes in mary is kidnapped he gets one line but it's it's very very interesting to compare his performance with uh the guy playing joe helton uh, when he finds out when the father finds out that mary has been kidnapped uh, boy, does he go for the Oscar? He he he, he, he puts his arms yes. out and he he he, he 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 really he gives it his all. And then when Zeppo uh, comes in and says, "What's you know what's the matter? What's going on? Uh, she's been kidnapped. Who's been kidnapped? You know, he, he again he he really underplays it, um, and then just stands around staring mm. in, in his trademark way. Very disappointing when he <laughs> says, "Who could have done it?" It's like what an, an opportunity <laughs> when he's already been hired as a as a bodyguard, hasn't he? So oh. <laughs> yeah, he should he should have a fairly good idea. Then he's back uh, seventy minutes in. Uh, he's got no more lines, but uh, he he's uh, he's got some great action moments in the old barn. He never he doesn't turn up when uh, Groucho and Chico do. They have quite a long session in the barn. Then Harpo turns up and does a bit, but at seventy minutes. He's there and he's fighting away. Those fists are flying. Um, and here's a man who we know was a was a uh, something of a fisticuff expert on the streets. Mm. On screen, I would say less so. Not so much. Well, you know, let's go back to the party scene where he does react. Um, I think that that seems very awkward. Again, it's another example of just either not being comfortable with your lines or just not really knowing what your character is. I, I don't really know, but it is, that is kind of disappointing. I, I watch that, those scenes a lot and I've always wanted to see him be a little bit more intensely protective of the girl. It would have worked better. I think for the script it would have been more interesting to watch. I think a lot of other men might've played it where they had a little bit more uh, emotion going on, you know, nothing serious, you know, but something a little bit more, but I think he does a decent job. The, the barn scene though, you know, when he, the other brothers are so amazing. We have that great scene with Groucho and Chico before they go in. I mean, it's hysterical. And then when, when Zeppo goes in to the barn and he frantically looks up and down and around, that's weird. Because if you notice when Harpo goes in, he has a smile on his face because he doesn't know, the actor doesn't know what's going on. He's not supposed to know. And then he immediately sees what's going on and he's focused and he gets in and he, he takes part in what he's doing. But Zeppo's choices are a little different. He's looking around frantically, which is is weird because you're you're looking at the barn as as it's not believable as a person really to go in and and move your head around that much. Just a little bit strange. And the fight scene. A lot of people have told me they don't agree with me. A lot of people love it and think it's great. I I think it's not a great example of stage combat. I think it's just not very balanced. But you know he's not that professional of an actor. So for what he was doing, I think I guess it is much better than I was thinking i like the no, fact it that isn't. it oh <laughs> okay all right <laughs> it's a pretty rare example isn't it of like uh, that kind of um fighting action in a marx brothers movie there's really not much in the way of fisticuffs mm. does anyone get punched in the face at any other time uh, i can't think of one 
somebody will write in and, and point some out. But I, you know, that the Marx Brothers, um, unlike some other comedy teams, there's not a lot of slapping and punching going on. It's particularly interesting, isn't it? Because it's it's constantly intercut with with comedy, with, with Groucho doing his his commentary up in the rafters, and then Jacko and Harpo uh, doing their bit, and then then there's you know the, the the score, the only game in the stable, and all that sort of thing. So all there's all this kind of comedy going on, and then intercut constantly is this is this vicious fight, and there's there is nothing else like that. Not even um, at the end of Duck Soup, where where the jokes are intercut with 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 war. Uh, that even there. That there's no actual painful violence on display. And it's weird because Zeppo is mm. so much smaller than Alki too. So it's a little bit hard to believe that a big, tall gangster who looks so strong like that would get his butt kicked by Zeppo. But, you know, Zeppo has a lot of energy. He's definitely picking him up out of the straw and pushing mm. him down and everything, throwing him across things. So, I mean, mm. I think I was just being too critical. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does perform no, that wasn't. stuff with a certain amount of uh, relish. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I got the sense Zeppo might have enjoyed filming that fist fight yeah. more than he enjoyed, you know, his contributions to the dialogue scenes. Yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with that. What a missed opportunity, though, for him to have his shirt ripped off. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if ever there was a chance, oh, that is. I didn't even think of that. Now that's all I'm going to be thinking about. <laughs> Okay, so here's the monkey business tally, and uh, it starts off quite promising. He's in, uh, remember in the previous film, he was in three scenes. In monkey business, he's in 14 scenes, but seven of them give him one line or less. Uh, there are two semi-sneakouts, not not full-blown sneakouts, the one on the deck uh, and the, the Chevalier scene when he's told to get in the back of the line. That's the last we see of him. But, you know, he probably is at the back of the line, so he doesn't even get to do a full sneakout. He's on screen for only 13 and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. I thought it was more. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, at least his present is, presence is felt, at least, because it mm. seems like a lot more. Much more. Yeah. This is a much shorter film than the previous two, yeah. so maybe percentage-wise, it might not. Yeah, it's about the same. It's kind of informative yeah. that Good his push. screen time isn't significantly increased, but his impact is. Yep, I think it's probably his best work in the films. <laughs> I laughed. I should have done. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Aww. Well, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, before we move on, uh, perhaps we should touch upon uh, the house that Shadows built, the uh, mm-hmm. skit they did for that. Uh, I think that's probably Zeppo's most prominent moment as a Marx brother, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He comes in first, he's, he establishes the premise, and he's pretty, he's, he's full of uh, vim and vigor in that sketch. My name is Sammy Brown, and I just came into town. Saw your ad. You're Mr. Lee, so you can make a mint on me. What do you do? Dance, sing. Play a role? Anything. Say, I'm a fine for guys like you, because there's nothing I can't do. Tell me, what did you work before? In a department store. Who told you you could dance and sing? Hey, for money, I'll do anything. Why don't you try me? You might as well. You might be great. Who can tell? What do you call your specialty? You mean my big sensation? I knock them cold when I pull off my Chevalier imitation. He has, you can see some confidence in him. Uh, instead of it doesn't his intimidation if he had any doesn't really show in that i don't yeah. think that it's a great comfortable performance i don't think it stacks up against his brothers at all really but i think it's it's 
for him strong. It's helpful that he comes in first. He doesn't have to follow any of his brothers. Mm-hmm. He he comes out, he does the the straight version, a more or less earnest impression of, in this case, Chevalier, but as we know, it was changed over the years. You know, he does it the normal way so that they can come in and do it the funny way. It's he in a way he functions as the straight man more in that scene than usual. Mm-hmm. I also it's interesting, I mean that scene is is widely understood to have come from I'll say she is, but of course it was in on the mezzanine before that. And On the Mezzanine was written by Herman Timberg, who was a very accomplished vaudeville writer and performer. He was hired by the Marx Brothers to write their next act after they'd exhausted the Alsheen material in Home Again, etc. And so, I don't know, Zeppo's expanded role is the result of a new writer coming in and saying, well, what am I going to do with these guys? Um, and one wonders if Timberg had gone on to collaborate with them more. Uh, if I don't know that this was Timberg's notion, but um, uh, he might be the one writer who really did make an earnest attempt to integrate Zeppo into the act and expand his role. Okay, so Horse Feathers is, you know, his other one, isn't it? I think it's it's the other film where he has some kind of a, of a meaningful presence. Uh, we first see him um, just under three minutes in with uh, "Hello, Old Timer" um, and a little bit of um, a little bit of singing. Knowing that as I do, I'd not advise you to displease him or tease him. No, no. That's his voice, isn't it? it sounds like it. There's some conjecture, you know, obviously, but if if we go with the theory that, number one, there's no information, there's no data that says it wasn't him, um, mm-hmm. and also the fact that he was probably trying, the, the crooner voice was very popular in thirty in the early 30s, so he could be trying to sing in that style, then then it is him. Yeah, he and he does parody sort of thirties crooner style that you know don't double cross mm. him section. Oh no, you know he's he's yeah. he's laying mm. it on. He's doing it satirically. I should just say as well that I just I love that line. When dear old dad once gets mad, he's a hound. <laughs> that's that's great writing, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's great that there's a uh, the girl's on his lap. Yeah. Well, it explains why the sun was rising. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> it would have been nice. It shows a little attitude on the part of Zap, which doesn't continue for the rest of the movie at all. But it, it, that would have been nice to have him. That moxie, you know, it would have been nice to see a little bit of that more. Yeah, because he doesn't, he's not so defiant when he goes on to talk to exactly. his dad later on. Exactly. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, but six minutes 40 in, we get uh, two minutes 10 of Groucho and Son. We get Groucho and Zeppo uh, talking together. Um, I, I think he doesn't have much to do here, but he's he seems more comfortable. He noticed he's, he leans on the stage. He sits on the stage as he's talking to his dad. It's just his body language to me looks very uncomfortable during that scene. You know, it's very measured and it's just a little awkward, just, you know, but most people are looking at Groucho in that scene. So it doesn't even matter what, what Zeppo's doing, mm-hmm. but I'm looking at Zeppo. So. <laughs> I like him in that Huxley sweater, you know, he, he, it emphasizes his mm. kind of juvenile role in this one. Yeah, Definitely. And his hair's a bit curlier, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he's got that 1932 wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, another big moment then, uh, at, at just over a uh, quarter of an hour in, uh, where he gets to not only sing a song, or does he, um, but, but also to be cute. He gets to be cute with, with a girl. Uh, for, an, for a full hour and 40 minutes, the screen uh, stares at Zeppo and no other Marx brother. He sings, uh, everyone says I love you while, uh, while buttering toast and putting it into Thelma Todd's mouth. Presumably this is, this is the Zeppo moment. You mean a minute and 14 seconds? Yeah, what did I say? An hour and fourteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, basically, he, he, it's 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 an Andy Warhol film, and he butters toast for an hour and forty minutes. <laughs> I play this one in my curriculum when I'm, I'm teaching, um, and we we talk a lot about horse feathers, and the kids always laugh at that line that Thelma Todd says. Are you making love to me? You know, because they don't know what that means. Yes. In reference, I have to tell them, oh, that doesn't mean the same thing as today, but. Um, you know, Seppel's his acting is. <laughs> She's not sure. Just, it's very wooden. He, he's very stiff, and it's very. It reads very uncomfortable. Thank God, Thelma Todd is who she is because that lady could generate chemistry with anybody on stage. She's so super talented, so comfortable in her own skin. What a talent she was! What a talent, and he looks good with her. He really does. When I first saw Horse Feathers and I heard him sing, I was just really enamored and then when it came up that it might not be him singing it was very disappointing to even have a thought it really really was very disappointing but at least i don't really know what to believe i hope it's him singing so i'm going to go with that i'm going to i'm going to stick with that that it is him singing which is a great moment for him it really is i mean obviously he's mouthing it it's pre-recorded obviously and he's not doing a very Mm. good job of lip syncing but the lines and the movement that he's doing. It's just, it's a little awkward, but it's Zeppo. Now I'm used to it. Now that's what Zeppo is. He has things to do and stuff, but it's not going to be the most comfortable thing you're watching. It's, it's fully his moment. You, you did have doubts, which you've obviously put to one side, but, but you did have a, have a reason for having doubts. That it was him singing? That it is him singing. Yeah. You, you said, now I think about it. You, you, yeah. you sent me a message and you were you were quite distressed because <laughs> it had sudden it had suddenly struck you that actually maybe he wasn't and you did have- yeah you had been drinking it was late night you know, <laughs> not me <laughs> no. you know what it is I just the, the person who is singing if it is Zeppo has a certain way of sing, saying the S sounds that is is not the way Zeppo says an S when he speaks but he's also speaking in a very stylized Hollywood coached way arguing with dad about you like the way he's speaking it's very <laughs> yes. you know uh it's very mm, stylized mm. and put on so maybe there's been singers that have done that that have changed some of the ways that they do certain consonant sounds and it was at this time he was trying to make him name for himself as a singer so perhaps he had gone through some training maybe and coaching maybe or maybe he didn't care mm. the other theory is he didn't care and he just wasn't going to stick around to be recorded so they brought someone else in who is also the same voice in Duck Soup in the intro lines that he sings in that. But um, mm-hmm. there was another member of the council that had brought it up and I thought about it and I'm like, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's, it's too much of a departure from his real voice because we have the data of seeing him in Animal Crackers and hearing him sing the beginning of My Old Kentucky Home in that brash Zeppo vibrato. But you know what? Even I can have two different voices when I sing. So, you know, I, I don't know. I hope it's him. You know, a lot of people sound totally different when they're in a recording studio as opposed to uh, singing live. Yeah. There's a producer. 
and someone's helping your your posture and telling you how to raise your soft palate yeah. when you're singing and yeah. drop your jaw yeah. and there's so many different techniques you can do mm-hmm. to create that kind of sound in uh in a, a male baritone to sound more like Bing Crosby. Uh, he might have been given a recording of someone singing it, to which he, you know, and he learnt from that. Could be, uh, and and almost in, almost instinctively took on the the uh, the qualities of, of of the person who was singing on the on the demo. Yeah, it's a little similar to the theatrical agency sketch in that Zeppo delivers the kind of normal straight version of the song that each of his brothers will will do you know in a funnier yeah. more stylized way in the ensuing scenes but i think the yeah. outside the um, barriers of the song the screenwriters aren't very helpful to him in this scene and one moment that always makes me cringe a little bit is when he says to Thelma Todd, he says well i think you're wonderful you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Like eh, that's the best I got. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't bother to come up with anything better to t- tell you in this tender moment. Right, and they're really good. they're really pushing that scene to get to those the song already. Yeah, <laughs> right. Make it as fast as possible. <laughs> right. Let's get to the song. I guess for a while here, at least through some of the film, he is playing a, a real romantic lead. But about halfway through the film, it it changes, and that's not what the character is, and that's not what the plot is. It's not mm. a romance. It's a it's a setup for Salma Todd's character to be partly in. because that the the girl that was sat on his lap was, has been written out, doesn't doesn't she? She was originally a a, a significant character. Um. So so yes, uh, he does he does end up uh, the his authentic coconuts pointless self pretty much for, from here on. But uh, yes, he should have been. He should have been a, a fully fledged romantic lead here. Um, he's back twenty nine minutes in for the, for the boudoir. I just came in. Um, <laughs> That's awful. Uh, and you think you, <laughs> you, th- you think for a moment he's going to get involved in in all those shenanigans with people coming in and out of the room uh, in compensation for the fact that he he was nowhere to be seen in in the, uh, the coconuts uh, twin room sketch. But but no, Groucho very decisively kicks him out of the room one minute and 10 seconds in. And that's the last we see of him, sadly. Um, again, you know, how much effort would it have would it have taken for him to be uh, to be one of the people coming in and out of that room? You know, if uh, if um, whatever he's called, David Landau is there. Why can't Zeppo be coming in and out and hiding? But no. Yeah, those lines are awkward that he does with Thelma in, in that she's great again when she wants to drink and everything. He looks like he's completely lost and uncomfortable. Yeah, and in the scene, of course, this can be traced back to the Napoleon scene in which Zeppo plays a fairly equal role. I mean, nobody does as much talking as Groucho in that scene, but Zeppo's running around with the others. He's fully involved in the farcical um, machinations of that sketch. I guess there's no David Landau in that one. Yeah, 36 minutes in, I've got something to do with football. That's the best I've... It's all all exposition, uh, 15 seconds of of something to do with football. But then we have have the big game, um, and he does... does quite a bit in this i wonder if he in fact does more than he was meant to because of chico's uh broken leg um but he gets you know he gets a little bit of a little bit of dialogue he gets to uh he stands behind chico when he's doing the signals uh, he, 
glorious opportunity there for him to, to have sneaked off, but he mm-hmm. doesn't. He sticks around. He's in the scrimmage. Um, he does. Uh, he does. Uh, he runs off with the ball. He's there for for uh, Harpo with the banana skin, uh, and and this is where he, he lets me down the most. Uh, he gets into that chariot for the for the big finale. Uh, he he really should have sneaked off there. I don't know what he was. He was thinking, if I do this, I can be on the cover of Time magazine. <laughs> yes, yes, that was it. Uh, I like him in in what he does. I like his sweaty wig. <laughs> well, they did. They put a pretty good piece on him, I think, for the scene um, that he holds on very well. But I think he does a good job. I like the way he's he goes in and out with the team huddles and takes part and everything. I, I think he does. You know, for what his role was i think he he looks good in there and i like the scene in the locker room where he says but you got the wrong players you know i like that i would have loved more of an explanation of why he was being ironed <laughs> yeah nice. you think he's stiff enough already <laughs> <laughs> i've asked a lot of people about that I, I wish my father was alive because he would have illuminated it for me he would have known just like a lot of people have asked about that hard-boiled egg scene and uh in in opera and my dad he explained that to me. He told me that's what you called older women. They were hard-boiled eggs. So if he couldn't really see them in the room, you know. So my dad knew all of this stuff. He was a very old-fashioned guy. And I just wished that he was around to tell me what that was for. But a friend of mine who was, a, you know, baby boomer who loves Marx Brothers said that they would iron the numbers on the shirts. But I don't think they did that. I think they sewed in the 30s. I don't think they had iron-ons like right. they did in the yeah, 70s. So I really don't know what that was. <laughs> Maybe they were torturing him. It wasn't in the movie. It was <laughs> a punishment of some kind. <laughs> he smile on his face as it's happening. <laughs> and picture, he's like, yay! I find it fascinating during the football scene, uh, the one gag when Groucho is talking to the wrong team and Zippo comes over and corrects him. <laughs> Listen, you bunch of butterfingered milksops. The way you're playing, you couldn't beat a girls' basketball team. We've got to win this game, do you understand? Even if we have to use our star play, number 37. You remember, don't you? The quarterback gets the ball, goes around left end, and makes a lateral pass to the right guard. Sit there. Wait a minute. Boys, if you can't beat that bunch of half-witted goofs... Sit there. What do you want? Well, you're talking to the wrong team. I know I am, but our team wouldn't listen to me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the other team starts laughing, and Zeppel, like, leads them away, like, come on, I'll, i got to bring you over to the right... <laughs> To the right team. Like, he's almost like taking charge of Groucho at that moment. Like, I got to straighten you out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, he's his son, right? He's trying to save dad the embarrassment, yeah. you know. Oh, let, let's move along now. His dad bets against him, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he's also, he is the only Marx brother who looks or seems like he could plausibly be an athlete. Yeah. Um, and although acting comfortable was never his specialty, uh, maybe in this football sequence, he just kind of seems a little more... Uh, at home somehow, a little more natural to the surroundings. I don't know. They all seem athletic to me. They all seem like they threw a ball around. They played stickball. Yeah, you know, we do that in New York. You know, you, you're a New Yorker, aren't you? Yeah, I, we all yeah. Grew up playing stickball. We all did that stuff. It seems like they probably all ran around the streets and did things. In that sense, and and in real life, yeah, I think they all were fairly athletic. But I mean, th- their characters mm-hmm. um, okay. don't s- scream professional athlete to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Zeppo, I mean, it's just thinking about that garbage can chariot moment and the famous Time magazine cover photo. Zeppo looks like the main brother in that picture. He's, <laughs> he's this big, broad guy. He takes up more space in there than any of the others. And Groucho's hidden in the shadows. And uh, yeah, he is. Zeppo looks like he some is. kind of He-Man. 
Mm. And we should point out that in the in, in the final scene, the finale, the uh, in the absence of the the burning down the college scene, we have the wedding scene. Zeppo makes up for for not sneaking off anywhere in the uh, the football game by uh, sneaking off from the entire scene for never turning up in the first place. The uh, the extra with his back to camera is presumably Zeppo, is presumably Frank Wagstaff. So there, I think I think it's fair to say we have the ultimate sneak yeah. off. Yeah, whoever that was uh, did a great job of channeling the real Zeppo with that uh, sneak off. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to surprise you. He has six scenes in Horse Feathers. Uh, he doesn't have any scenes where he has one line or less. He's on screen for eight and three quarter oh. minutes. Oh, that is wow. Surprising. But he had a part. He had a, a function, an important mm. role in this. <laughs> well, it just goes to show there are no small parts. There's only Zeppo marks. <laughs> <laughs> As these films progress, the scenes and the films themselves are shorter and shorter. So he could be in yeah. more scenes, but for less time. Yeah, they're moving fast. The movies are definitely moving yes. fast. Yeah. yeah, every everything is shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're moving to a to a cinema beat yeah. instead of yeah. a a Broadway beat. Um, but you know, nonetheless, that's uh, that's a good minute to salary ratio. I, I would expect for him. Mm. He's making his time count, which is important. Yeah, and in fairness to uh, to him, he does say, doesn't he, in, in the Anobly interview, that he that he he did feel bad about that, that he was taking money and not really really doing much, and that was part of the. Uh, I can't imagine him feeling bad about something <laughs> like that. No, I was going to say really, <laughs> but at least he said it. <laughs> Um, which brings us neatly to Duck Soup because Duck Soup obviously is is the decisive one, the one where, where uh, for whatever reason he decided enough was enough. Um, we we do know that there was more for him um, in earlier drafts. I think I think right up until till the the last draft, there was quite a bit more for him, including a song, uh, which all which all got stripped away. The question is, did that happen because he was leaving, or did he leave because that happened, or or? or is neither the case. I don't know, but I, we do know, don't we, that McCary was responsible for a lot of the whittling down of the script and turning Duck Soup into a, a sort of faster-moving, more lightweight property. Um, and if McCary was looking for expendable things to cut, uh, maybe we, we might blame him for, for some of that. Mm. Although in a way, Duck Soup, because it is unburdened by, you know, uh, subplots, um, in a way it, it would be the, it's harder to imagine more of him in that one than, than in some of the others. He, he could have participated more fully in the comedy scenes. But on, on the premise that uh, there wasn't room for a fourth comedian in the act, uh, Duck Soup might have been, well, I guess the script tells us it wasn't, but it, it would seem to be have less room for him than the others. Uh, they could have written something where he steals away with Vera Markal and just get some kind of scene in there, done something, you know, even if he, he struck out with her, it's anything, you know, anything. Yeah. Or yeah. the way I love the, in the beginning when he kind of looks at Lewis Calhoun, like, don't interrupt me. You know what I mean? Like when I'm staring at Vera, like just, it, it seems like there was some spark between them and, you know, Zeppo chemistry is not something we see too much of with anyone. So it, I would have liked to have seen that. I mean, I love duck soup. It's not my favorite Marx brother movie. And I know people hate when anyone says that, but um, yeah, possibilities, possibilities <laughs> were there. 
I love it when when he's introduced to Vera Michael and he, and he says we we've yeah. already met. We met. We know that that's you know a, a remnant of an earlier draft, but it, but the implication is, uh, yeah, we we oh, yeah. we've met. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I know this guy. Yeah, and of course, there's the urban legend that there is quite a bit of footage that was shot that was excised from the film that and that exists. What yeah. somebody claimed was in a vault or in some underground mine somewhere, but that's never been proven and <laughs> it's more questionable as time goes on. Yes, I think because he did say it was it was at Universal, didn't he? He, he didn't say he, he knew somebody who had it. He said it was actually in the in the studio vault. So I suspect it would have it would have been unearthed in the in the most recent uh, search if it was there. But mm-hmm. it's uh, you know it's an interesting theory. I heard they didn't even record the song that he was supposed to sing with Vera, and they they gave it to um, Wheeler and Woolsey. Yeah, they gave it away, so they it wasn't even around for they couldn't even mm. have filmed it at any point there was obviously no pre-record yeah because that surely would have yeah well i don't know maybe not actually but so yeah this is a film that's obviously the opening as, as we know is inspired uh by animal crackers it's it's a very deliberate i think effort to recreate animal crackers he comes on and he announces uh groucho with a, with a song um because it's much more cinematic, though, uh, and less theatrical, it really doesn't give him a good opportunity to sneak off. It's very disappointing because there are so many different camera angles um, and and short cuts. Um, for all we know, he could still be there on the set in between announcing Groucho and then coming on for the for the dear dentist <laughs> scene. We have to imagine he's still there. So unfortunately, McCary again, you know, misunderstanding the team has just not given him a chance to sneak off. Um, but he is there uh, for for the intro. He comes back fifty five seconds for dear dentist, which is incredibly short. Uh, if you look at the the um, the earlier script drafts that's there's a proper dictation animal crackers dictation scene there that's been stripped down to almost nothing um you know he says he didn't care but it would annoy me in fact the early drafts of duck soup have um numerous dictation scenes it's a kind of running gag throughout the the script mm, that mm. groucho is always dictating a letter to zeppo including a scene where they jump out of a dirigible and they have parachutes on and Groucho and Zeppo are descending through thin air back down to earth and Groucho turns to Zeppo and says take a letter and <laughs> he dictates a letter to uh, to Margaret Dumont as they're descending I would love to see even just the visual yeah. of that I, I yep. so wish we had it it's disappointing but it is he's very I hate to say this because you're all going to be like oh god again but he's very handsome in this movie oh god his face, again. <laughs> he's, he looks it's the height of his his good looks it really is and at least that's it's something you gotta you know I want something from him you know so at least I got that his body looks good the costumers definitely knew that he looked good be, like uh knew that he had a good body because they costume him very well his uniform looks great on him the suits are really really nice the hair piece is the best on him. They just, they made him look good. They really did. And then at the end, that, that T-shirt with a hole in it. We, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, okay, so he's off screen now until just over 17 minutes in where he's there at the, the Chamber of Deputies. He's on screen for a minute and 35 seconds and he has no lines at all he just sits there for christ's sake give the man a joke give him a line 
Anyway, they don't, and, and off he goes. And he comes back on at 26 minutes in wearing half a hat, um, which gets a laugh at least. Um, a lot of exposition there about insulting Ambassador Trentino uh, for a minute and 10. Um, then he's next uh, on screen 47 minutes in for the trial, uh, where he comes in and sits down. Uh, and has no lines at all. Um, he does a semi-sneak-off. We don't get to see him sneak off, but after 2 minutes 15, we, we certainly don't see him anymore, until 52 minutes in, when we have 3 minutes of him uh, getting involved with his brothers, and it's the first time in a long time that he's come on as a Marx brother, uh, singing Fredonia's Going to War, and uh, generally making an ass of himself like they all do in that song. <laughs> Well, first of all, Matthew, can I just tell you, when I read mm-hmm. in your book, in Annotated, Marx Brothers, you have uh, you wrote something up about how when Zeppo comes in with half a hat, it's like, right. it's like too late. <laughs> it's too late, buddy, to, to be funny at this point yeah. in time. I thought that was hysterical. Yep. I was laughing as I read that. <laughs> but the scene that ensues after that, I, I think Zeppo does a pretty damn good job with what they gave him which wasn't much when he says yeah you know Vera slap my face you know that that scene it's it's good he's handsome in it again you know and he, he delivers his lines what few that he has he does deliver them well I think and I think he doesn't look intimidated by his brother at all in that scene I, I agree it reminds me a little bit of the hunger dunga scene that way it's not as much of a comedy routine as that is but it yeah they play well together the face slapping is funny oh that is a, an example of face slapping <laughs> now that I think of it. More like neck slapping, it gets him in the neck. Yeah, right, right. A stage slap. I also think Groucho is very handsome in that scene. <laughs> See? And Harpo, wow, he's gorgeous. But yeah, in the in the song, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not too keen on it, but, but people are very keen on it. But nonetheless, he's, uh, he's in there pitching. He's a Marx brother. That's one of my, I have a, I did a post once on the cringiest, moments of Zeppo and one of them was that coconut dance but I think my top yeah. I think I, I posted my top one was how he appears with the four of them in that in that scene with the song now he obviously he has to be there if he missed that scene that would be like okay you're done you're, you already quit the Marx Brothers right during the movie but he's there and he has to be there and I don't know it's not it's not funny it, it actually is cringy for me to watch him in that whereas it's entertaining for me to watch the others I find it all so joyful maybe not funny Okay. Whatever, but I find it very joyful. I find it cringy too, but I don't find him more cringy than the other three. I think he, I think he's, he's on, you know, he's there with. I I find them all pretty cringy. I I don't like it at all. But you don't like the banjo part, Chico, and the banjo part. I remember you saying that. Making that stupid face. (laughs) No, no. But but he's, you know, he's he's trying, isn't he? He's putting some effort in. Everybody hates that. I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. Don't you think it's supposed to be over the top on purpose? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's just, it has just has that Zeppo magic. Yeah. It just has that extra, that little bit that only he can provide. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I found Chico quite hot in this scene. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. So he, he's in and out from, for, from 61 minutes in uh, until the end uh, here and there. It's very, very hard to, to sort of really say, how much of the scene he's in because everybody is is in and out but he does um have almost the same line twice in a row he comes in at 61 minutes and says we can't last much longer 
And then he comes in at 62 minutes and says, we can't hold out much longer. But, but he does have a ripped vest. And I wonder how that happened. What, 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 kind of, uh, what kind of warfare had he seen that would, would have ripped a, a little hole <laughs> in, his tank. in his vest? In his tank top. Uh, perhaps Vera Markel had a piece of him. <laughs> I'd love to know if it's really dirt on his chest or if that's his chest hair. That's what I want to know. <laughs> but I think it is one of the more ludicrous uh, excuses to show a rippling physique of any of any film I'm I've not seen. Complaining, I, I don't know though, if you're you familiar know? with the. Uh, I'm not complaining. <laughs> too familiar with the with the Ed Wood film Bride of the Monster uh, <laughs> with, with Bela Lugosi, but there's a the guy at the end of that a guy called Tony McCoy who's only in the film because uh, his his father or somebody put up put up money <laughs> for him to be in it. But he, in the in the finale, his shirt basically falls to pieces uh, for, for really no reason at all until he, <laughs> until he ends up you know just uh, that's you know it's a commonly away. used Zepho is kind of in that right, commonly used device to i mean anybody who loves the original star trek i mean kirk always had his tunic was always ripped off of him uh so it's just it's just a commonly used device to show that there's also something even aside from the exposure of the the delectable flesh of zeppo marx the the <laughs> the way all four brothers in the war scene in duck soup they are all you know ragged and there's been effort made to dirty them up um and particularly when groucho's in the davy crockett version of his costume with the coonskin hat and everything there's something about how grimy they look there that feels very um, on point, it feels like the old vaudeville Marx Brothers, where all those photos of the act through I'll say she is, you know, they're all sort of, it's all a little dingy. It's a kind of a, a shoestring budget version of show business. I, mm. I find them appealing that way. And um, so often these movies get mileage, including Duck Soup itself, out of putting them against backdrops where their normal appearances look fairly moth-eaten and cobwebbed and, and grimy. Um, but in the end, I like that uh, roughed up, dirty, you know, <laughs> ragged edged Marx Brothers. It's sort of a shame that they didn't know that this was going to be Zeppo's farewell when they were filming it because they could have had him gone out and gotten killed in the war. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> wow. With a very serious uh. funeral scene. Uh, <laughs> Groucho eulogizing. They could all be. Throwing fruit at his coffin. At the end. <laughs> okay, so the duck soup tally. He's in eight scenes. Uh, two of them have one line or less. There's only one semi sneak off, and he's on screen for eleven and a half minutes. So here's the uh, here's the big surprise. Then of all the uh, of all the five films, um, the least number of scenes he's in is Animal Crackers with three. The number of films in which he has one line or less, the most, is Monkey Business, with seven of those. The least is Horse Feathers, with none. Uh, in terms of sneak-offs, um, I've given the prize to Animal Crackers with two and a half. Technically, it's two, but it contains a sneak-off and sneak back on again, which I think is, is so impressive that that, uh, that takes the prize <laughs> there. And if we add these all up, Matthew... Combined, does Zeppo have even an hour of screen time in the entire uh, canon? Uh, good question. He has 17, 20. No, no, he doesn't. Not if we quite. threw in the, the uh, house that Shadow's built. Um, yeah, he's got about an hour. Yeah. So if we were making uh, a Zeppo Marx compilation film, 
we could probably squeeze an hour out. Oh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and what a film that would be. <laughs> right, all the lowlights. But, you know, uh, <laughs> we might mention uh, Kiss in the Dark. You know, there was a silent movie in mm, 1920. Mm. Um, 27. Thank you. I, I was I was talking to somebody about that. I was talking to Robert about that. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I, there's no evidence that Zeppelin was in there, just Harpo. Oh, I thought he was um, listed in the crowd. Oh, in. Oh, the, that's, uh, that's too, too many, many kisses. kisses. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm thinking of something else then. It has been claimed that he was also in too many kisses with oh. Harpo. But, but once uh, somebody started putting up some, some screenshots of it, uh, I went back to the person who told me that and I said, is, is this in the screenshot is this the person who you think is Zeppo and he said yeah it could be uh, and it clearly mm. isn't so I think that's that's now looking looking iffy to to certainly not the case but but yes Kiss in the Dark is a separate film uh, that he, he yeah has. I've got some information here yeah 1925 Kiss in the Dark okay. uh, directed by Frank Tuttle who by the way looked a lot like Groucho it starred Adolf Manju and Eileen Pringle mm. Zeppo, although I noticed uh, he was he was kindly not included in the Wikipedia page for this film, um, but he does appear in press mentions of it and in ads for it from the time. Uh, wow. We don't know how big a role he had or anything. Um, this also apparently it was it was found it was considered a lost film for quite some time, um, and now apparently it exists in some private collection. God, yeah. Yeah, and somebody should add him to this uh, Wikipedia page. I'm done with them. <laughs> really? Did you have a bad experience? <laughs> uh, my my attempts to correct the uh, story of a night at the opera and the Italian cuts has oh. left me very soured on the whole Wikipedia experience. I remember that. I'm just going to grab my dog. Can I have one second? Because he's going to bark if I don't do that. I do have a question while she's gone. Doing a whole show about Zeppo. Are we risking... Uh, Losing our Vanity Fair recommendation. <laughs> Could that be retracted? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, we might mention that. Thank you to Donald Liebmanson for including us in his recent uh, Vanity Fair article, including only eight film podcasts that he heavily recommends after You Must Remember This, which is absolutely a incredible podcasts. Uh, so the premise of Donald's article is after you're done with that one and you want more movie podcasts to listen to. Uh, he, uh, he recommended eight and uh, we were at least one of them. I would have mentioned it earlier, but I didn't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> Donald Liebenson. Hey, congratulations, guys. That was excellent. I read that. Okay, I'm going to now just throw some headings at you, things that come up fairly often or things that strike me as particularly interesting. And the first one, which which cannot be avoided, is funny stroke the funniest in real life. <laughs> Who knows? We'll never know. I mean, clearly he was a funny guy. That's easy to believe. Um, I think Gummo, too, was a funny. I mean, they all had above average senses of humor, a little bit of the family talent, you know. Um, funniest in real life, I agree with what you've said in the past, Matthew, that it kind of smacks of a surprising little factoid that'll make people's eyebrows go up. But Unless he was a real mercurial guy who just really was a, a joke a minute. I mean, he could have been that kind of person that people just love to be around. He seemed like he was probably kind of moody, too. 
It seems to me, I could be wrong, but every time I see this claim about him being the funniest, there's never really any elaboration. It's just a comment left to speak for itself. Yeah, that's true. It's never supported with evidence. The only, well, the only ones I've come across is that, uh, there's somebody, and I, and I, I can't remember who it is now, but one of the interviewees on Brothers in a Nutshell says that uh, he, he fell out of a car because Zeppo was, was so funny. Um, but again, he, he doesn't say why. But uh, the, the, the only one um, that I'm aware of that has got any kind of elaboration is um, Maury Riskind in Hello, I Must Be Going. Um, uh, and he says, uh, offstage, Zeppo was a, was a very funny guy. And Charlotte Chandler says, do you remember any examples of Zeppo's humor? And this is what Maury comes up with. I'll tell you one story, which I think is slightly risque. Zeppo was, after all, my agent. There was a period of about a month when I was trying to get hold of Zeppo and couldn't. I was getting bloody mad, and I was thinking, why can't I get this guy? So I raised a little hell, and finally he came up to me, and I said, Zepp, I've been trying to get you for a month. He said, well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm being psychoanalyzed. I just looked at him. If you knew Zeppo the way I did, for Zeppo to ever sit down and say that, even if he actually was being psychoanalyzed. So I said, for God's sake, why? He says, I was masturbating. Of course, that wasn't true. He was giving an alibi. I said, what happened? Are you cured now? And he said, no, but I know why. <laughs> well, you could theorize that if Zeppo... You know, assuming that in, in real life he was a funny guy, he had a good sense of humor, he was capable of keeping jokes going in a conversation, particularly when he was an agent, you know, maybe he felt some sense of having to prove himself in that regard. Like, oh, you're about to meet Zeppo Marx, you know. Um, anything you, you may go in, any preconceived notions you have about him are about his stiffness and lack of a personality and and uh, being a non-essential player, you know. So if then in conversation he could make you laugh, um, you know, I, I could see that being in his interest, particularly as a, as a Hollywood player. Steve Zoglier is somebody who has no no reason particularly to to contribute to any Marxian myths, but I, I think he says that in his encounters with Zeppo, he did have a very natural uh, and easygoing wit. He also said that at like seventy or in his seventies, Zeppo seemed like a man twenty years younger. That he it was just vi very vivacious, mm. you know, very full of life, you know, and extroverted life of a party type of guy. That's that's great because obviously people are stuck on how he translates in these movies, but he was, as we know, complicated guy. He was almost a criminal when he was growing up and he was super funny. Maxine, with the quote that I read, she even said that he was, everyone knew he was so funny. And uh, asked Steve Solia for his girlfriend's phone number. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and took and, her out. And dated her. Yeah. You know, it's, mm. it's often been talked about how it's a shame that uh, Chico and Harpo didn't get didn't live long enough to see the Marx Brothers revival in popularity in the 60s and the 70s, but uh, Zeppo obviously did, though we never really heard his reaction or his thoughts mm. about it. Did and never got involved, yeah. I mean, in Anobly, he's he's quite scathing about Groucho's yes. late life uh, revival. He says, you know, what on, what on earth is he doing? He's tearing down his reputation. I went to see his one-man show, and it was, it was terrible. I have no idea why he's doing it. It's interesting in, in the Anobili book uh, that Zeppo and Susan Marks are the only two 
who um, criticize Groucho, you know, and they really do. Like, as you say, Matthew, Zeppo is very hard on Groucho's uh, later efforts, you know, the, the one-man shows and the Bill Cosby appearance and stuff. And Susan Marks, too, is equally, you know, she says that the Groucho uh, solo show was an acute embarrassment. Um, and, mm. I mean, Susan Marks obviously was nobody's fool, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not entirely surprising. Uh, I wonder what how those comments landed with Groucho himself and if there was a kind of uh, license to be uh, candid that as family, the two of them had. Mm. Uh, in the Barry Norman interviews with Zeppo, he seems very at ease, much more comfortable than he ever did on film. And much more than he is with Anobly. He's, he's so uh, openly uh, antagonistic towards <laughs> yeah. Anobly. You're making me repeat myself. <laughs> That's right. Why, why, why are you asking me this, you know? And with Barry Norman, he seems very relaxed and comfortable sitting in the sun, answering. He laughs a little bit. Mm. Perhaps we should talk about his personal life for a moment. Uh, he was married a couple of times and adopted a couple of boys who we heard about uh, a bit early in their lives. But I don't know. They seem to have dropped off. I've never, I don't recall ever seeing any interview or anything with them. Have any of you? Some people have posted that they've contacted Tim or they were able to speak to him about Zeppo. I don't know what they've mm-hmm. said. I don't know anything else. It is a real shame that there isn't a, a book about Zeppo because, you know, he really did have a fascinating life, even perhaps more so than Chico. And, uh, you know, I think I've read somewhere that somebody did start a book but uh, mm-hmm. gave up after a while. But yeah. they, he really deserves one. Yeah, just working with Barbara Stanwyck and all that that they did together mm-hmm. would be uh-huh. interesting. It's interesting that Zeppo was uh, dating Ruth before Groucho sort of stole her away and mm. married her. Um, that seems to have been a almost, there's something sort of sad about it. Zeppo seems to have just kind of accepted it. Like, um, I don't, I guess he wasn't that serious about Ruth who, who had been his dance partner in the act. Um, but, uh, there seems to be a sense of resignation about it. Um, Groucho kind of swooped in and, uh, s- swept her off his feet. And, um, so that was that. No, I don't feel that way because back in those days and being in the theater circus and stuff, I think those guys probably dated quite a bit of women. Yeah, and so it often might not the have same been a big too. Yeah, they, everybody took that turn, you know. So maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. He was probably on to something else. Yeah, because it seems like that is Zeppo. He he doesn't stick around. He moves on. He's got his options open. He's always looking for something else to do. Probably a very restless person. That's you know, a good point. Yeah, that's that's why the the stuff from Lady Blue Eyes freaks me out so much because the picture that she paints is so different and sad re- with regard to Zeppo. Tell us a bit about that then, because I, I haven't read that to say. This is something that I posted. I guess I don't know, in like 2016 or 17 on 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 the council page. Barbara is blunt in her description of her loveless feelings for Zepp, seeing him only with her logical mind as a way out of a no-win situation that she found herself in as a terrible dancer in Vegas with a son to raise by herself. She states that Zepp made her laugh, that he was self-deprecating, generous at times, but far too settled into, into retirement to keep her interested for very long. And then I wrote, while I'm grateful for some semblance of insights into the man, I can't help but finish the melancholy profile that Zepp's life had already begun to take shape in my mind during his later years. Um, that's, I didn't, I'm not quoting her. Like if you want to read her book, she basically, I'm just summing up what she seems to say about him, that it was just, he was kind of like done with everything. He was kind of laid back in his life and she wanted more. So she looked to him for some security, some money. And then she obviously found something more 
interesting than him. Just left him. And I think from what they, people have said, Groucho was sticking up for Zeppo to her and saying, please don't leave my brother. It kind of, that kind of sounds sad. So while in the early days of Broadway or whatever, when he, when Groucho married Ruth, I don't think it was a big deal for Zepp. He had so many options open. Probably later in life, it was a different story for him. And that's it. But then I think he probably had a had a had a second uh, a second lease of life after that, didn't he? Because it would have been after that that uh, that Steve knew him, and uh, so oh, yeah. I think he kind of. Oh, that's true. He bounced back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're, that's a really good point you make, Andrea, about his just kind of moving on and bouncing back and maybe not taking things super personally or emotionally. That, that feels very true of him, doesn't it? And, and, and that he, um, maybe had almost this professional background in taking abuse, you know, or in being, um, feeling relegated to a lesser position. He doesn't seem to have been a particularly introspective or emotional guy. Yeah, he might not have been a sentimentalist. And again, this is Barbara's opinion of how he took her leaving him. So who knows? He might have been like, you know what, girl? Pack your bags. I'm done anyway. You know, he could have been like that too. Who really knows? I think he's an Aquarius. I don't know if anybody follows that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, he could be just internally motivated by logic. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, Criminality is my next heading. Uh, Subheadings. (laughs) We've covered young, tough guy. Uh, but there are two others that we haven't covered. One is FBI sealed file running guns in Israel, question mark. And the other is jewelry fraud. <laughs> uh, is, there, is there, I mean, I, I'm, perhaps I'm being unfair, but he does seem to have been extremely unlucky when it comes to jewelry robberies. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was just a coincidence that uh, Zeppo and, and Chico actually uh, had a number of issues with being robbed uh, when they were financially strapped. Uh, yes. You can make of that what you want. Uh, there's that one that we've talked about in the Facebook group several times where Zeppo was uh, robbed of uh, some jewels out of his house. And the next day, the uh, L.A. Times came and did a photo spread with Zeppo actually reenacting, uh, discovering that he had been robbed. It's it's hilarious. We'll, we'll post that in the uh, blog. That is hysterical. Uh, I hope he wasn't making that up, though. That's just unless that's just what they did. I don't know. It was arguably his best performance. (laughs) (laughs) There's just countless uh, news clippings of Zeppo in trouble with the law, uh, legal issues, conflicts with other people, uh, all through his life. Uh, You just go on newspapers.com and put his name in the search bar, and you'll be amazed at how many things pop up. Like like punching people out type things? Like, oh, the brawl. Yeah, Yeah, didn't he get hit a brawl Mm. or something in a bar when he was like 70 or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Wow. Bully for him. Those things happened in the vaudeville period too, and and during the uh, New York run of I'll say she is um, in a item that is probably um, you know elaborated upon by press agents and all that. There's a story about him being um, going to court because of a traffic violation, and and being very kind of funny and mouthing off to the judge and saying he has to go ask his mother for the money for the fine and stuff like that. Oh, <laughs> Uh, perhaps just a little bit about about his being being an agent then, because he obviously we we know that he um, became a very successful agent. The Zeppo Marks agency was 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 uh, was a big deal. Um, we know that he negotiated the room service deal for the Marx Brothers, uh, but he then says in an Oberly that having done that, he found them so difficult in terms of their demands. 
uh, that he deliberately did not represent them again. He said he, he wanted to, as a commercial, as a commercial proposition, they would they would have been of uh, of value to him, but he couldn't be bothered, and he handed them on to Gummo. Yeah, I detect. I don't know if this is the case, but I smell a little bit of like Zeppo is somewhat relishing the the opportunity to reject his brothers to to reject the Marx brothers. Yes, I don't want to work with you. You know. Yes. <laughs> There's some uh, satisfaction for him in that. And why wasn't he part of that show, Hollywood Agents? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? That that then comes up as a as a little a little project for them. You know, there must have been some uh, something there that was uh, pointed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so we've we've I think we've we've deliberately shied away from uh, from the origins of his stage name. I don't, I don't propose. Uh, getting into it to a big debate but uh in in one sentence or less uh if i could go around all of you uh how did he get the name zebo oh i'm gonna defer to uh noah on that one <laughs> uh okay. no. well the 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 sentence about this in my book is uh zeppo was named zeppo for numerous reasons none of them true <laughs> Andrew? i wish i knew I hope it's not that pinhead theory, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Can't rule that out. Uh, that might be the front runner, actually. It could be anything. Ze- uh, Zep could have been anything to them. I mean, oh, the Zeppelin theory. I mean, who knows? This is one of the things that I actually don't. I, you know, I'm not a researcher. I've said that to you guys. You know, like I, I have no idea. I wish somebody could find out. You know, but maybe half the fun is that it's kind of a mystery and a mystery name. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's a reminder, as we often get this reminder when we're researching these things, that not everything has a clear single explanation. It, it is obvious mm-hmm. that like his name is a little different from the others in that it wasn't a product of the Art Fisher poker game when Groucho, Harpo, Chico, and Gummo all got their names. And so when, when Zeppo joins the act, it's like, well, I guess we got to give him one of these names too. <laughs> what do you think Art Fisher would have named him if he was in that card game? On the There's a million-dollar question. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what indeed? Yeah, I mean that's exactly what I think. I, I think because he had to have an O name uh, coming into an act where you know where people had O names, uh, it just sounds too too neat to me. It sounds like Zip. It sounds like Pep. It sounds like Zoom. You know, it's just it's just a good, funny, zesty sounding name, Zeppo. Uh, I don't think there would have been any obligation whatsoever for it to have a meaning. Uh, if it does, I suspect it's entirely arbitrary. You know, maybe there was a Zeppelin passing by the window. Maybe there wasn't. <laughs> but I, I don't think we really need. I think that, I don't think mm. we need an answer. I don't think mm. it demands an answer. Deliberate or not, it's interesting that, you know, it starts with Z. You know, he's the last one, the last man, the youngest brother. Yeah, and it has a good sound to it. Like Matthew was saying, it's, it's definitely a good, it's mm. an interesting sounding name. Mm-hmm. And I think we're done. I think we've exhausted <laughs> everything that makes Zeppo Marx interesting. <laughs> is there is there anything, Andrea, that you want to add about Zeppo Marx before we before we sign off on the subject? It's just so much fun. It's so much fun talking about him with people that aren't just like, oh, he doesn't matter. Who cares? He wasn't even there for a lot of the movies. It's so nice that you know we have this during a rough time in the world right now to talk about something you know it's so interesting and to appreciate a guy 
that a lot of people don't really see much. I mean, it's, it's hard to even notice him when the other brothers are so amazing. But yet to put this kind of like wonderful scrutiny on him is a lot of fun. And I've enjoyed over the years, over the years I've enjoyed posting about him or when people say things that make me laugh and I give them a Zeppo punch. Some people know why I do that and some people don't know why. And obviously that's because he famously punched out somebody to, to get a client when he was trying to be, when he was beginning to be a, a, an agent. Um, and it just, it shows that he was like feisty. You know, it's a nice, it, that's his thing. That's his claim to fame with me, I guess. <laughs> And you're very fortunate that because of the pandemic that people are going to be looking for anything to listen to. So, <laughs> Even a podcast about Zeppo. <laughs> this is the acid test. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. We may, we may do a gummo episode at some point. <laughs> <laughs> do we know anybody who finds him hot? <laughs> okay, well, that brings us to the end of another Marx Brothers Council podcast. Uh, thanks to Noah, thanks to Bob, uh, and thanks above all to Andrea Orlando. Thank you very much, Thank Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Yes, thanks, Andrea. Time now for our final song, which Andrea is going to introduce. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Introduce our final song. You know what it is. Everybody knows what it is. Wait, this must be a joke that I'm not in on or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Every episode okay. ends with a song, but we almost never know what it's going to be when we record. So one of us just records an intro for something we don't know what it's going to be. And if, if we have a guest, we tend to spring so it. You can on do them. what you just did and stare at us I uncomprehendingly. <laughs> and Jay falls for it every time. <laughs> yeah, Jay has actually done more than once. That's fallen for it, yeah. <laughs> Dad wants me to give you up. You know, you're interfering with my studies. <laughs> he must think I'm terrible. But I think you're wonderful. You're beautiful. Are you making love to me? Why not? Everyone says I love you. The cop on the corner and the burglar too. The preacher in the pulpit and the man in the pew says I love you. Everyone, no matter who. The folks over 80 and the kid of two. The captain and the sailor and the rest of the crew says I love you. There are only eight little letters in this phrase you'll find. But they mean a lot more than all the other words combined. Everywhere, the whole world through, the king in the palace and the peasant too, the tiger in the jungle and the monk in the zoo says, I love you.
The Marx Brothers Council Podcast is hosted by Matthew Conium, Noah Diamond, and Bob Gassell, and is produced and edited by Bob Gassell. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by leaving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Matthew Conium's books, The Annotated Marx Brothers, and That's Me, Groucho, The Solo Career of Groucho Marx, are published by McFarland. Noah Diamond's book, Give Me a Thrill, The Story of Alsatias, The Lost Marx Brothers Musical, is published by Bear Manor Media. Both can be found at major book outlets. Please visit our website at marxbrotherscouncilpodcast.com. Also look for us on Twitter. And for the place to talk Marx and meet fellow fans, join us on the lively Marx Brothers Council Facebook group. This is Heidi Gassell. We'll see you next time.